It's time to turn out the lights, grab some popcorn, and watch some horror movies. This is the Terrible Terror Podcast. Each episode, I delve in the world of horror movies. Why do I do it? Well, I can't really explain it, but I love these horrifying flicks. If you made a horror movie on your phone, or made your own special effects MacGyver style, please send it my way. Now, what do you get when you mix the Irish, ghosts, and ghost banging? Why, you get high spirits. Why, hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Terrible Terror Podcast. And I excuse myself for my voice already. It might be a little of a rough one. I've had a little bit of a cough today. Uh, nothing too serious, but, you know, it still has made my voice sound a little gravelly more than I'm used to. But hello and welcome to this episode of the Terrible Terror Podcast. And so this episode, we're doing High Spirits. And... This was suggested by a listener, and I'm actually kind of glad that he suggested it, because it's a movie that I've not really seen before. I think I have. Like, after watching it, a lot of things were, like, coming at me, and I remember the one big scene that happens towards the end of the movie, but I could have been thinking about something else. Like, it could have been a different movie that had something similar, but I don't know. But... The cast of this film is fucking ridiculous. Like, you have Peter O'Toole for first. Like, that is... And he's not even really... I wouldn't call him the main character. He's, like, top build. But he's definitely not the main character of this film. The main character is the one and only Steve Gutenberg. I mean, that's who we're really kind of focused on. Well, if anything, they're both the main characters. Like... Like, main focus, but it's the tale, again, of two different movies going on here. And I really wish they would have stuck to one versus the other. Then we have a bunch of other people that I just... Wait, he's in this movie? She's in this movie? He's in She's in this movie. So, it's just really weird when I came to actually, like, finally sit down for the rest of the movie. When I keep seeing all these damn actors in it. So... I really have nowhere to go with this movie. I have no basis for it. I just was like, okay, well, we're going to sit down. The only thing that I knew is that it's a comedy. And it's... I wouldn't put it necessarily into the horror realm. It's got, like, supernatural stuff. Maybe you can call it a supernatural comedy. But it's definitely something that is, I think, worth a watch maybe before you listen to this podcast, um, because there are some things that I'm completely cutting out that are a little more visual in nature. I know I say that a lot. I say a lot of things a lot. It's really terrible, isn't it? Uh, well, it wouldn't be a terrible, terrible podcast if I didn't say something terrible every now and then. But nonetheless, it's just like you, you have these moments in this movie where... You really need to see it because 
that's where some of the comedy comes from. Just with anything that has like a little bit of slapstick into it, you're going to get moments of the film that lose some of the narrative while you're listening to me and listening to clips rather than just watching the movie yourself. So if you want to go into it fresh and you kind of want to have a different experience with it, I'd say go watch it first. It's available on Amazon Prime right now if you have Amazon Prime. It's also available on YouTube if you can find it. Uh, so you have a couple different ways, and I think it's available on a couple of other type of a streaming service. I think I saw it on Tubi, and no, I'm not sponsored by Tubi, though there's a lot of different things I wish it was sponsored by, but I don't know if necessarily Tubi. But Tubi is actually kind of a cool service if you're looking for free streaming movies um, that basically have commercials, right? So for some of them, like I watched Leviathan on it for some reason, even though I know it's on Amazon Prime, but I was trying to give the service out to see if I could, well, stand it. Uh, but there's a lot, I mean, a lot of horror movies on there, but you do have to sit. It's almost like watching like it on TV. It's, it's a full film and it's completely uncensored, but you do have to sit through like 20 minutes commercial, 10 minutes commercial, a little more towards the end. And that can kind of get annoying, but they do have a lot of stuff on there. If you don't have one of these major streaming services and it works great because it's available on a lot of smart devices. So you can just, you know, log into your smart TV or into your Roku or whatever the fuck you want to watch from. And then you can watch a ton of shit. So I think it might be available there, but don't, count me on it but it's definitely something if you've never seen this movie before you may be in for a treat if you've never seen this movie before and you just don't really care about watching it then listen along i don't i don't care you you do you <laughs> that's, that's the point of the podcast too right <laughs> you do you pikachu but nonetheless so this movie was suggested because you know saint patty's day is coming up pretty soon um and nobody solicits suggested a leprechaun movie to do this year so this is your say patty's day movie now there was something i was gonna do and now instead of saying it at the end i'm gonna say it here in the beginning the next film was going to be darby o'gill and the little people uh but after kind of reviewing one watching the trailers watching some of the scenes i remembered i decided eh, i'm just not gonna do it i it's not something that anybody has been like clamoring about or asking me to do oh why don't you do this thing it's available on disney plus and it's also available on youtube as well uh, and i just felt like it it doesn't fit it's not enough. Yes, Sean Connery's singing in that film is uh, pretty damn scary as it is, but, you know, it's just, I just don't feel like people would get as much enjoyment, and I don't feel like I could, I think nostalgia would take over for me in terms of watching it, because this is one of my father's favorite movies, uh, and he would always show that movie to us as a kid. And the thing is, is the scene with the Banshee, and with the death carriage, those were the two scenes that always freaked me out as a little kid. And I would kind of decided, uh, I'm just not going to do it. You know, one, it might be fun for a little bit. Two, um, it's not like something like The Witches, where I feel like there are good horror elements for kids. 
where, you know, you could also say, well, why did you do the Dark Crystal? Same reason here. I feel like there's some pretty good horror elements for kids in there. So I'm going to do a different movie for the next one, and you'll get the trailer for that at the end. And it's, though it still fits the whole thing, I've been wanting to do it, and I've been meaning to do it, and I'm going to just do it as a replacement, because I couldn't think of another film to really fit the mold of this. I looked through a lot of Irish horror, and I'm like, uh, it's already going to be past St. Patty's Day. So I'll just, you know, do something else that I want to do for fun that I really enjoy uh, and definitely shocked the hell out of me when I first saw it way back in the day. So it's not super old, but it's still, it's getting there. <laughs> it's amazing. When you think about some things nowadays, I was watching something else and I was like, oh shit, that was that long ago? Holy crap, I'm getting old, uh, especially with the change in this year. So uh, nonetheless... High spirits. It is what it is. Let's go ahead and just get started. And what better way to get started with the film than to just get the setup? I'm going to also warn you guys here, there are some pretty long clips. Um, this movie was very, very hard to not pick long clips from. I tried to pick them within a certain amount of time, but some of them are going to go on, not like five minutes, but they could go a little over two, just because I felt like the scenes, if you try to break some of it up, it wouldn't necessarily work. I did it a couple times, but not every time. So the setup for this movie, and just give you a gist of, and it's not truly the setup, that's one of the things that pisses me off, but let's go ahead and get in. So let's meet Peter who owns the castle, and find out what the whole movie, basically, is going to kind of be about. Mr. Broger, I assume you called in regards to the mortgage payment on Castle Plunkett, unfortunately still delayed by what seems to be our endless postal strike. Dear sir, I must once again remind you my first name is not Dick, nor is my last name Faith. It is simply Peter. Peter Plunkett. No, I was not given a middle name, but had I been, I feel certain my mother would not have chosen low-life, shit-for-brains, Peckerhead. Well, you obviously know a side of mother I have been happily sheltered from. Nevertheless, I marvel at your colourfully creative, ever-so-American colloquialisms which flow so trippingly from your razor-like tongue. The hotel is in tip-top condition. The renovations are proceeding at a... What, what? What? Why shouldn't I bother? Peter, who are you calling? Oh, Mother, will you please get off the line? Turning the castle into a theme park. Irish world. Gee, what an interesting notion. In, in, in Malibu. What is Malibu? See, you want to move the castle to Malibu, which I am to presume lies on the western corner of those United States. Mr. Brogan, if I cannot send your payment, how on earth do you expect to transport an entire castle across the sea? The number of stamps alone is mind-boggling. But I can assure you, Mr. Brogan, that if it goes on much longer, I will take this check which I am holding in my hand and personally ferry it across the water to England and mail it to you myself. That's how much I care. Postal strike. Shut up, mother! I don't think that kind of language is necessary, Mr. Brogan. Understand the book of them. So, 
What you're saying is that if I don't come up with the money in three weeks, you will foreclose and take over Castle Plunkett. I see. Have you heard of the quality of mercy, Mr. Brogan? No? You haven't read your Shakespeare, Mr. Brogan. Goodbye. So there you have it. This is Peter Plunkett, and he is the owner, well, he was the inheritor of Plunkett Castle, and it's the only source of income for the entire village here where he lives. And so basically everybody works together to, and he's trying to turn it into like a bed and breakfast, and it's just not working. I guess maybe he took out a loan or mortgage from some guy over in America who we get the name, I can never remember the goddamn, I think it's Longmire, if I'm not mistaken, and I bet you it probably is, but you know me and my forgetfulness when it comes to characters I don't give a shit about inside these, like, reviews that we've got. But he basically is waiting for, you know, the money from Peter, and Peter's not going to be able to do it, so he's basically going to uproot the castle, move it to California, and create Irish land. Irish land? Like, you could totally think, I understand, this is 1988, and who gives a fuck about whatever people think about it, you know, in terms of it being, like, quote-unquote PC or whatever the fuck it is. But you could think of a better name, like Blarney Isle. You know, I'm just thinking off the top of my head here, you know, what the hell? Why would you even want to name any type of theme park after that? Or are you going to stick it inside and it's going to be a new part of fucking Disneyland or something? Here's the Irish Castle Land. It's Darby O'Gill Land. That's what that's going to be, okay? So, (laughs) that's what they're going to do. They're going to uproot this giant fucking castle. And I do find it really funny. And let me tell you right out, straight up, Peter O'Toole is one of the best fucking things of this movie. It is amazing how much he commits to this fucking role. And honestly, the acting in this movie is relatively good. I think everybody commits to their fucking role. There's only one person that I'm not very fond of outside of the main cast of characters that we're going to be dealing with, and there's one within the main cast of characters that I feel is kind of phoning it in, but everybody else around it is so good. Like, they're they're entertaining to watch, and it's one of the reasons why I, you know, I enjoyed watching the movie as much as I did, even with the flaws that we're going to talk about. So, but Peter O'Toole here, he really, really is, like, giving it his all. And it sucks that his character is a little one-dimensional, but in that one dimension, man, I fucking love it. it. You even get it just from the scene that you have here, where just in the cadence of his voice and the way that he's doing it, you know, he's... He truly has a love for the place, but he's also at the point that he's just fucking given up. Like, oh, okay. And what he's doing in the scene as he's talking to the guy on the phone is he's throwing a bunch of books down and he's got a rope. And everybody is listening on the call, right? As you're coming into the castle, he's on the phone. And the front desk people, they're on the phone listening in. His mom is go ahead and she's just going to, she's listening on the phone and she's just going to drunkenly, you know, talk while he's trying to make up excuses. It's like the episode of The Simpsons, you know, with Lisa being the president. Man, China, I thought you were cool. China's still cool, man. And he's basically like, give her to mercy. You know, you're cool, right? You're my debtor, but come on, man. You could give me a little more time to do this. And then, of course, 
here comes the excuse of, oh, don't worry, it's going to be in the mail. I'll, I'll get to the post. There's a postal strike right now. And the mom's got to go fuck it up by saying, what postal strike? Just like, shut up, mom. I'm on the fucking phone. Why do you got to listen in? But of course, it's her place, too. And as you find out, it's also the place of a lot of different spirits, right? We'll get into that. But that's basically the premise of the movie. So, you know, Peter, in all this, you know, being distraught and not wanting to get the money, he wants to take the easy way out. And, of course, his mom isn't going to let him. There you are! Taking the easy way out, you naughty boy! Mother, this is not easy. It is very, very difficult. Just because you haven't got a ghost in the place, you're in hot that fellow Brogan. Your father's so worried he's tearing his hair off. Well, the father has been dead for a decade. And what about your grandmother? How do you think she feels? Well, the grandmother is dead, too. She's still upset. Oh, very well. I apologise profoundly to the ghosts of my ancestors for making a mess of their ancestral home. Hold that. I'm not going to help you. (laughs) I love that. The mother is great, too. You know, she's... Even though she's basically a drunkard, right? And it seems like, you know, there's a big giant Irish fucking stereotype with a lot of people in this movie. But definitely with him and his mom that they're both just like constantly drinking at different points in the movie. There's probably some type of double entendre with high spirits. But we do understand where that comes from later on in the film. But it seems like every time that there's a problem or something's going down, it's either for him, death or drinks. One of the two. And she's just a happy fucking drunk the entire movie whenever you see her. And she's very loud and boisterous as well. It's annoying, but at the same time, there's really funny moments just like that. Where just He's handing her the rope as he wants her to hold it as he's going to jump off the books and hang him. So she's like, I'm not going to help you. Fuck you. you do it yourself. You're going to fucking kill yourself. It's the easy way out you know, he's there. Oh, but it's not easy. But it seems like it's relatively easy. Because everything in that castle is just falling apart. As you see with the rains that are going on out there, they're pouring through all the different parts of the castle. There's a bunch of pans and cups and buckets and everything that's trying to get all the rain. And, you know, basically because he's failed at doing any type of renovations to turn this place into a bed and breakfast, that, you know, he owes all this money so there's no way that he can continue but because they've been talking with they were you know, like he's going with and she's talking about the ancestors and the spirits that gives him the great idea of what they need to do with this place to attract guests and get some money also known to be the most haunted place on the Emerald Isle. Here the dead outnumber the living. This castle contains more ghouls, ghosties, long-legged beasties, and things that go bump in the night than on any other place in this revolving, revolting, maggot-spinning earth. We can promise you banshees, poochers, Ghouls of all descriptions. The one thing we won't promise is a good night's sleep. But there are no bloody ghosts here. I know, but there will be. We'll invent them. So that's the big plan that he's got going here, is that 
you know, with all the tales of all the ghosts and spirits and banshees and whatnot, this is going to be the place. So he's going to turn this into a haunted bed and breakfast, and that's how he's going to attract everybody. And that's where we get a montage of all the stuff that they're going to build. And it's relatively funny, to be honest with you. And this is where I was kind of like, wow, okay, well, maybe we're going to go through, like, all the different shenanigans, especially with watching the trailer. I know there's something else bigger coming up. You know, there's the whole ghost love thing. But I I feel like it could have gone in a different direction, and it didn't necessarily go there. Like, that could have been something, but they still could have been doing the shenanigans or something. Well, we'll talk more about that. Like, I could really get into just that, but I want to save that part of, like, my mind. Kind of, like, open a door, stick it in there, let's not forget it, and let's leave a little crack so that it can come squeaking out every now and then. Uh, But... It's just that the the whole sequence of them setting up everything, them setting up the mirrors is pretty damn funny. He drops one onto a dummy and he's like, did it kill anybody down there? Like one of the workers does. And it's like, just the dummy. Well, at least it works. <laughs> so <laughs> my Irish accent is terrible. <laughs> Where's Richard when I need him? But uh, <laughs> yeah, that's right. He's down in Australia. Uh, but It's just, like, the whole setup of everything. When the lady who's going to be the flying banshee, they have her go off, like, okay, you need to, you know, stretch out your arm more and wail more. And she's just fucking screaming for dear life as she's flying across the thing. Like, they're really ingenious, to be honest with you. All the things that they set up and when they actually start, when the guests come and they start doing this stuff, it's pretty fucking amazing that in such a short time, they were able to construct all these things, these this winch flying thing, the the costumes that they need, the the wigs that they need, like it seems like they made fucking everything, and it's absolutely amazing that they were able to do that with minimal people getting hurt, <laughs> not really even anybody getting hurt, but. I'm not saying minimal fuck-ups, because they obviously are going to fuck up, and there are fuck-ups in this montage, but it's just absolutely, like, thrilling to see that they were able to make this, and it be as, you know, awesomely shitty as it was, for, without, like, any knowledge that you can see that they had in making this stuff. So, it's kind of funny, kind of cool to get through this little montage part, and these are the things that, like, I want to... I, I had to skip grabbing some audio because it's a lot of just like music and ah, oh, and, and a couple little things here, even though there's little choice pieces of dialogue in there, but it's better to see it, I think, than hear those scenes. So now that they've got the castle completely like renovated to haunt the guests, what do they need? They need a set of guests. And so they pick up their guests from the local airport. Well, first, before they pick up the guests, we're introduced to uh, Jack and Sharon. Jack is, of course, played by the Goots, Stephen Gutenberg. And Sharon is played by Beverly D'Angelo, who you'd best know her from, from National Lampoon's Vacation or Christmas Vacation or Vegas Vacation. Basically, those are kind of like my roots and knowledge of her, right? I never really searched her out but to me you know she's always been an entertaining comedic actress she's got really good timing in those roles and here honestly she is again really good like 
the type of person that she plays in this movie is much different than those films where I feel like, you know, it's the the wife. I don't know exactly how I want to characterize it. Not just the wife, but like the stern wife. And she kind of gets into these. She's a little awkward and homely in certain situations. But yet you can tell she loves her family. But there's still kind of awkward things that happen. And they're still really, really funny. Especially in Christmas Vacation. I think it's my favorite portrayal of that character by her. It's really good in Vacation. But Christmas Vacation, I just feel like she's so much stronger. Stronger than she was in the first vacation movie. But here she plays a fucking bitch. And it's fucking phenomenal. Like I hated her from the moment that you see her. Because you see the poor Goots here. You see Jack and he's pouring champagne. Because he's all excited. And he's like we're going to go to Ireland. We're going to you know the birthplace of your family. And we're going to go visit this castle. And it's going to be fantastic. He's trying to pour her some, some champagne. But she wants fucking none of it. She just wants to fucking sleep. And fucking get there and be done with it. And he spills champagne all over her. Because he's an idiotic klutz. And he is the guy that is fucking phoning it in the entire fucking movie. And I just don't fucking get it. I don't understand you, Goots. I like you. Police Academy, great. But you're almost like playing the fucking Police Academy guy. But not really because you're trying to play like this awkward fucking nerdy guy that... I don't know what you're trying to play, but I feel like you're phoning it in for the entire fucking movie, and it's really fucking annoying. And I fucking loved you and Three Men and a Little Baby, and, oh, God, it drives me fucking crazy. Like, But again, I think that at the back of my mind, it's the roles that I remember you for that I'm like... I have such a big nostalgic, like, connection to, and maybe you're always just acting like this guy. And I just never fucking knew it. But, honestly, he had... This could have been given to somebody in in a much bigger, like... Like, Rick Moranis, for example, would have been phenomenal in this role of Jack. Because I could believe it, right? He could be awkward, he can be nerdy, he can be silly. It would have been fucking great. I would have loved it. You know, you could even stick somebody bigger like a Steve Martin and type in the role. I think it would have been pretty good. But I think at the time, Goots was relatively big for some of the movies, especially like Police Academy and, like I said, Three Men and a Baby. It's it's just weird that he was the one that got this role. And maybe he was a big guy at this time. And that's why he was able to be this person in this role. But I just don't know if he necessarily fits it per se, like the way that he does his scenes, even here, like the sarcastic little undertones underneath his breast stuff. Great. I think those are actually work really well. And there's one scene that I do really like the way that he does it, which is much later on. But from the most part, it's just kind of like, okay, you're just going to be like a bumbling idiot. Like, okay. It's just, it doesn't really work for me all the time. It doesn't mean that it's not funny at times. It doesn't mean that the scenes that he's got set up are not, you know, terrible, but or they're not bad or they're good or they're great. It, it just means that it, he's just not giving it a hundred percent when everybody around him, especially like the scenes that he does with Peter O'Toole together. Peter O'Toole is just going fucking laps around him, and he's got worse fucking dialogue than he does. It's terrible. I just, I expected so much more out of Gutenberg, but maybe this is what I should have expected. Maybe the Simpsons were right. It was really the Stonecutters that did this, and that's why Steve Gutenberg's a fucking star. So, 
He's on the plane. He pours the champagne. He accidentally pours on her. And then she's got this thing of always needing fucking Valium. Like, she is fucking hopped up on the stuff, constantly taking it because she's stressed out. She's got a headache. Whatever the fuck it is, it's always Valium, 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 Valium. And so she takes it, tries to go back to sleep. He goes over to an old lady, asks her if she wants champagne. And, and her response to him constantly is, next thing that you're going to do is you're going to ask me to have sex. Okay that's the running gag that we're going to go with that's not going to be funny. I get it. For the rest of the movie, it's going to be, well, I'm just going to deny him sex at every fucking chance that I fucking get, no matter what's going on. He sees a ghost? Nope, I'm not having sex with you. He tries to have sex with me? I'm not having sex with you. He has sex with somebody else? Nope, I'm not going to have sex with you anymore. Okay, I get it. You're trying to be funny, but, uh, I, uh, (laughs) I just don't like it. I don't know why, but this is one of those things, you know, that's why, you know, I have to go back to all these 80s things, but Married with Children was so funny because it was exact opposite, where the man was just like, no, I don't, because sometimes men aren't always trying to have sex. That's just the way it is. Sometimes we don't. Sometimes we do. That's just the way people are. It doesn't matter who you are. Sometimes you just want to, and sometimes you just don't. So they're basically now on the plane. They're coming back in. Uh, well, they're coming into Ireland, I should say, and they get picked up at this point by one of the workers from the hotel to bring them in. And of course, shenanigans are going to ensue when everybody arrives for the very first time. On our left, we have the Hogland Bog, home to more grisly and gruesome murders than any other spot in the universe. The fierce fighting of that is wood pile down from the Knockmill Down Mountains and Pillage and rape, women uh, and children, nuns and priests. We have children here. Even Christian brothers and mothers are the occasional sheep or goats. Now here, within the confines of Castle Plunkett itself, we come to the infamous Wailing Willow, from which the Brogan Banshee is reputed to wail and howl from time to time. They're coming, Katie, they're coming! Get ready to show them all you have! Okay, so there's a lot to kind of discuss with what's going on in this scene. Of course, at the end of that, they crash into everything and everything just goes wrong. Eventually, crashing into the river where everybody's, you know, floating and getting sucked into water. So there is a cavalcade of characters on this bus. There is a priest that's played by Peter Gallagher. There is a horny lady 
played by the ever-so-fabulous Jennifer Tilly, and I'm not going to go into the reasons why I love her character. You'll figure it out as we go along. Um, but she is playing kind of annoying, like, horndog character. She was dumped right before they went on this vacation, supposedly that he was a Satanist or something like that. I think we get into it in just a little bit, but I was surprised to even see her. Then we've got the husband and wife and their kids. The wife is playing by Corin, or Connie Booth. I was about to say Corin Booth, but no, Connie Booth, who did a lot of stuff with Monty Python. That's kind of what she's more famous for, especially like, mostly with the movies back then. And then the, the kids are just throwaway kids. But the husband, right away, I was like, wait, I've seen that guy before. And it's very surprising to me. But he is the lawyer from Jurassic Park. I don't remember the actor's name. The only reason I wrote Connie Booth down is because for a second there, I thought that was fucking Jennifer Tilly, like her character. And I'm like, wait, no, that's definitely fucking Jennifer Tilly. So I had to look it up and I saw Connie Booth first and I was like, no, that's definitely not her, but that's the only one I can figure out. And then I realized I'm a fucking dumbass. And how could I not have already known just off the top of my head that voluptuous fucking woman in the car or in the bus is fucking Jennifer Tilly. So it's Jennifer fucking Tilly. Okay. And Connie Booth, fam- fabulous, but I was like, the guy, he's he's basically, he's the lawyer from Jurassic Park. Like, if you remember, he's the one that gets eaten by the T-Rex, and it's because you can recognize the face. He's been in a bunch of other things, but that's the only thing I fucking recognize him from. And then, of course, you've got Jack and Aaron, who are, you know, our Goots and our D'Angelo's. Uh, so they're all there in the bus as they're coming up. And I love the little talk about the bog and he talks about raping women and they're really upset about it. But then he goes, also some goats and sheeps too. And no, no one, the woman is around. And I think it's fucking hilarious that they're still mad about the whole thing about that, but they don't even notice he's talking about, well, sometimes they go out and have sex with goats and sheep too. So you just know that that's going to happen. <laughs> and they're just like, okay, farm animal, totally fucking cool, but don't talk about raping and pillaging women amongst our kids because that's not as bad. Uh, I know it's it's not as bad as doing it to women, but it's still ridiculous to be like, hey, can you just fucking stop talking about raping things? You know, what's next? I'm going to talk about raping ghosts because who knows, that might fucking happen in this movie too. So they all arrive, like I said, with the banshee. She's up in the tree with her black wig, and then she's trying to wave her arms and woo. Like, when she's not wailing, she's like wooing like a fucking ghost up there, which is fucking ridiculous as it is. And then when she tries to outstretch her arms, of course, she outstretches them and pushes herself off the thing and lands right on top of the car. And then all the shenanigans ensue because they can't drive the car right because she's trying to get in, trying to get them to stop. Gutenberg's opened up the uh, uh, little sunroof thing that they've got in the top of the bus. Uh, I don't know if it's a sunroof, but it's probably like an emergency exit or something like that. And that's causing all sorts of chaos. And so they almost run over Peter. And when they get pie, everybody there, they drive, like I said, into the lake. And everybody's got to come out of the lake and go back into the hotel where they're completely drenched, their luggage completely drenched, and Peter, of course, is welcoming them all into the castle for the night. So you see them, they all look like drowned rats, and he tries to grab one of the suitcases, of course it opens up, and water just spills out everywhere. From here we transition into the dinner for the night, and we get a little glimpse of what is going to come, and how fucking, like, ridiculous, like how run down this place actually is 
to the point that the menu is basically the same thing in different variations of it. Good evening, boys, young lady. Mr. Crawford, Mrs. Crawford, Mrs. Clay. Mr. Plunkett, what is this whiting in glace? Oh, that would be a lovely whiting with breadcrumbs. And the um, whiting and the tour? Boiled whiting. So what's the whiting vapor stuff? That, my dear young one, would be whiting steam. And what is this? Whiting Bordeaux? Ha, 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 Very witty, Mr. Clay, very witty. Okay, Mom, you've got us here. Now, where are these ghosts? Come on, I want to see one now. Boys! I'm afraid there are no ghosts here. Oh, a cynic, Mr. Clay. No, a parapsychologist. Mr. Plunkett. Duke University. A para-what? A parapsychologist, an expert in ghosts. Give the parapsychologist a drink, Katie. Whiting bisque, madame? Thank you. And for you, father, the whiting bisque? So, I was seeing this guy and he's a devil worshipper, right? Well, he's he's a hairdresser, really, but he devil worships on the side. And we booked this dumb tour because, you know, he likes ghosts. Corpses, dead gerbils, that kind of thing. And he ran off with this Buddhist monk. I mean, how was I supposed to know he was gay? So what about you? Are you gay, too? No, I'm not. I'm, I'm chased. Just kidding, trick question. So, what are you doing here? Well, I I thought I'd take a vacation here in the, in the Isle of Saints before I take my final vows as sort of spiritual treat. Retreat. Yeah. Well, I've kind of taken a vow myself. I've sworn off men for a while at least. But you're not a priest yet? No, not yet. Well, here's to keeping our vows. So, yes, you see Jennifer Tilly. I already have a chance with her because she's into guys that are into ghosts and demons and everything like that. Oh, wait, it's just the fucking character. (sighs) Plus, I'm married, so, you know, I'm not going to have a chance with Jennifer Tilly. But she does enjoy doing horror movies, so maybe. So you're saying there might be a chance. Well, I'll keep that in mind for later on. But, yeah, I just want to include that a little bit because that's, like, one of the small, like, subplots in the movie is the fact that she was totally into I Love... It's it's a terrible line, but it's hilarious at the same time. Like, he ran away with the monk, and I guess he's gay. So are you gay? <laughs> like, he's like, no, of course not. I'm just, I'm chased. And it's weird to see Peter Gallagher in this role, because I'm used to him kind of playing an asshole, at least in things that I can remember seeing him in. But here, he's just kind of like an awkward, and he looks really, really young. It's actually kind of amazing when you look at him. I mean, they all look pretty young. Even Jennifer Tilly looks really really young uh in this movie and it's like one of those first things kind of like liar liar era jennifer tilly even though i think that's still a good maybe 10 years off maybe less than that i'm not quite sure but it's somewhere around that time that's again where i realized i probably one of the first times where i realized man 
I really have a thing for Jennifer Tilly uh, after that movie. But nonetheless, <laughs> can you and not gush anymore over her? Um, I just, the, the conversations that they have, and there's another scene where I felt like I didn't need to have it in, or maybe I did, but I feel like it's a good example of the chaos that goes off uh, on the next couple of scenes that are going to be coming up, but I digress from that. So, Basically, everything's whitefish. That's the only thing they have because that's the only thing they can catch in the area. And it's all done different ways. It's either breaded or it's in a bisque. And he's like throwing all these things on top of it, which just looks like a bunch of fucking like plant life. It's just like a bunch of weeds and fucking uh, leaves and thistles and stuff. And when he pours it into the bowl it's just that it doesn't even look like there's any liquid it's so fucking ridiculous and of course the you know lawyer guy but he's not a lawyer he's a parapsychic or something like that and uh you know he's saying oh is this white fish you know brandy or whatever the fucking uh wine or whatever the hell they're drinking there he's like no i assure you i still love again Every time Peter Tool's on the screen, I fucking smile ear to ear just because I love the delivery that he has. Because it's like, it's deadpan at the same time that it has so much emotion behind it. And he's easy to like clap back at the different characters of the movie whenever something is not going their way, but is going his. But then when it's not going his way, of course... You know, like I said, his first two ways to go are either let's get drunk or I'm going to fucking kill myself. That's just the way it's going to be. So they, you know, continue to have a little bit of conversation over dinner. And then all of a sudden they break out a big play that they've been working on, or at least the start of it. So the night begins with what they should expect when they go to bed. Full moon has risen above Bochlin Bog. Those who do with nervous dispositions will do well to protect yourselves. Lock your windows. Bolt your doors. Say your prayers. For tonight they may be walking abroad. The chloroquines, the banshees, and the pukas. Good night. Sleep well, if you can. Ha 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 ha. If you dare. Ha 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 ha. Yikes. Where do they all go? Don't ask. They might come back. Well, if there are any ghosts in this castle, I have to God they put on a better show than this one. It's pretty scary, huh, kids? Didn't you see Nightmare on Elm Street? Give me a break. <laughs> so again, you kind of see like the way that it's like I like the last little line that just well, scared the shit out of me. But it's still kind of like, eh, it's not quite there. But we really haven't focused in on him just yet. Because he's such the sex symbol, especially when he takes off his shirt. Oh my god. <laughs> oh, just thinking about it right now is getting me all fucking horned up for the goots. But, <laughs> god, it's terrible. Um, So... They're all, like, crouched behind all the sets back there, and they're slowly moving away, getting ready. Okay, everybody, let's get ready for the night. And they call the signal to turn off the lights, and, of course, that didn't scare or do anything to anybody. But, you know, Jack, he's really trying to get into it, to be honest. He's really trying to experience the whole thing, why they're there, because he wants to have a good time, and he wants to connect with his wife. That seems to be, like, his biggest thing, is that he wants to, like, 
rekindle maybe the romance with them and this is the way that it is we're going back to your home country we're going to a spooky haunted house type of thing and maybe this will breathe some life into the relationship but you know what she's still acting like a fucking bitch that's just the way that she's doing it she's there she has to be there and you know whatever she's not gonna fucking sleep with him so then we go into them like fucking with the guests and the first thing that you see is you see the the husband and wife and they're in their room and he's setting up all his paranormal stuff because he's gonna try to make sure that he catches them all in the lie and basically prove that there really are no spirits there so she's getting ready and she's taking off her stuff asking where her nightgown is and she throws some of her undergarments onto the night in the room and the night in the room starts to move and follows her around and it's amazing that that night makes absolutely no sounds you find out later that it's on a set of roller skates but even then you would still hear something from the armor or wherever it's moving around but she manages to to like get her nightgown from the night and like sets up everything and then she goes down the hallway to check on the kids the kids are running around with ghosts like <laughs> ghosts they're running around with sheets on them pretending to be ghosts and doing the thing and because they really want to make sure they see the ghost but she wants to make sure they're okay and they do see the night behind her that she doesn't see and they run and they decide to go right to sleep and then she goes back into her room. As she goes back into the room, she closes the door, and the knight's head gets stuck in the door, and we fade over to the next scene. Well, actually, we're kind of put in between the two scenes. We see that Jennifer Tilly, she's set down for bed, and looking as good as always, and she's watching TV. She's laying one way. She goes and gets up for a second to like grab something. Like She sits up. And she doesn't realize that the bed is slowly moving and it puts her down in another position. She's like, huh, that's weird. Looks like I might have had too much to drink. Then all of a sudden the bed just starts spinning and she starts freaking out. And that's when Brother Tony, he hears her screaming in the distance. And this is just to give you a little bit of the wackiness that goes on in the scene as she's spinning around and he's trying to save her. And I'll, I'll talk about something when we come back. Okay, so the other thing I really love in this, even listening to these clips backing in, is the music. The score for this film is phenomenal. I love the way that sounds there and that it's like, it gives you that feeling of kookiness, kind of scary stuff, but at the same time, it's very, very like happy, uplifting type of thing. That's the best way that I can think to explain it, but it's very, very good. Even the like Irish like theme stuff that they do in this is very, very good as well. So you have Brother Tony, when he runs in the room, of course she's already in her nightgown and everything like that, and when she tells him to jump on the bed, when he does, he goes face first into her muff. Like, 
<laughs> he's just uh, he has a fucking hone right there on her vagina and just plants his face right in there and then when he's like trying to read the book it's right at fucking boob level and i totally get it brother tony i would be exactly same position as you i'd be questioning the reason that i'm chased when i'm looking at what's right in front of me and when i dived right into that area when jennifer tilly's on the goddamn bed i totally get it it's okay just don't be a priest anymore and everything be fine and of course you go up to the top and you see that there's a guy up there and he's like winding a winch and here i am on this end of the microphone and actually making the goddamn motions like you guys can fucking see me do what I'm doing but basically he's sitting there he's winding the thing and it's spinning the bed and he's just going and like that part of the thing I'm like you realize that you probably should stop at some moment because I don't know how exactly they constructed everything but I'm pretty sure that you know especially the way that this movie is going to go something's going to go wrong so you think he would just stop for a second and then maybe start up and go the opposite way or do a little bit more and kind of test everything but no they're really trying to get into the spirit and honestly the staff is really trying because this place means something to them which i do commend them for but they've also never did this so i can kind of give a leeway on this and it's a fucking movie so there you have it so you also see uh the Banshee lady, and that's the one who's like, where's he going? Like, she's flying outside, they're using the whole thing, and she's trying to wail, and she's trying to get people's attention, but nobody's really looking at what's out there. We cut back over to the husband and the wife, and then all of a sudden, uh somebody... <laughs> it's the worst fucking mummy that i've ever seen like it's literally like he's got bandages around him but it looks more like just toilet paper that he's got and the the husband realizes that oh you know they're trying to make an apparition but he's like i know this trick it's a set of mirrors and and light and everything like that to create this and it doesn't really bother him he's like i'm gonna go you know i guess he goes to grab whatever it is because you know she wants to get down and he was ready to go get down until he saw a fake ghost. We go back over to Jack and Sharon's room, and the ghost image appears there too. And he's got like a sword, and looks like he's going to attack her. He jumps on top of her, and of course, what does she say? No, this is the most pathetic way that you've ever tried to have sex with me again. And it's just fucking terrible. But he's just like, dude, there was something with a knife, and I was thinking that it was real. Like, he's super fucking gullible. He's really the only one out of this that believes any of this is fucking happening. But of course, you know, it's all fucking fake. So the they open the door, the husband and wife open the door, and they see the knight standing out there, but they take the head off, and she's like, oh my god, it's got no head. He's like, oh, you know, and he's got my underwear. <laughs> and he's, he calls the ghost a pervert ghost, <laughs> which uh, I'm going to use that term at some point or another uh, for something else. But yeah, <laughs> man, that could be a song too, pervert ghost, huh? Um but he chases the ghost on the hallway or the night and then starts like sword fighting with it in the hallway and it runs away. We cut back over to Jennifer Tilly and the priest and we see that winding that bed too much has led to the bed actually falling down snapping because the rope it wound itself too much as he spun it in only one direction. He falls down on the bed with everybody and then the bed slides out of the room. Actually it falls down a couple of floors and it makes me wonder how high was that fucking bed? because it goes through like three or four floors before it starts sliding out the room and down a set of stairs it's really ridiculous but i do like the effect 
Again, a lot of the little practical effects that they do, and even some of like the ghost effects and stuff, for the time, are pretty good. But again, it's hard with modern TVs not to be like, oh man, that looks terrible. It it merely makes me feel like once movie cameras got better, that some of the effects that they used, like when you would see bats flying, for example, it was on a string, but with the old grainy film, you don't really notice it that much. But now you watch something like even Dracula, you know, you watch it nowadays and you can see a lot of the strings and everything that they were using to make some of the effects happen. And it's the same thing here with a lot of the computer effects that they use. But in general, it actually still looks pretty good, to be honest with you. And the practical stuff that they do is pretty good as well. So the bed's coming down the stairs. They're chasing the night down. And of course, that leads to everybody being caught in the act of them portraying this place as an actual haunted house. But it's really not. As the brochure says, is the unpredictability of spirits that causes problems. I would like to apologize for any minor inconvenience. This is the most pitiful supernatural sham that I've ever encountered. It will get better, I do assure you. If that line is in the trailer, and I still fucking love it. Like I said, I, I love every time he comes on and the way he even delivers this stuff. This is a sham. It will get better, I promise you. It's so well done. Like... Those parts of the script, it wouldn't be as good if it wasn't Peter O'Toole delivering the line. So you find out that his mother was the one that was inside of the night, which is crazy because as old as she is, and let me say, she looks old. She's basically put on makeup to look older than I believe she is. I think she's younger than Peter O'Toole in this movie. If that's his mother and she's his son, she must have had him in another life and then all of a sudden came back. Like she somehow got sucked in through a time warp and then ended up back in time after he'd already turned like 12 and she didn't age a fucking day because he really, or, or after he hit like 25 and she gave birth to him when he, she was 19 because she really looks a lot younger, even though she's meant to be his mother. It's really, really weird and kind of awkward. But I think it adds a little bit to the charm of the film, especially since she's always rosy-cheeked because she's constantly fucking drinking, well, just like he is in the movie. So, you know, he gives the impassioned speech. We see that Mother is there, the one that's in the uh, the night suit. And then he gets bowled over by the bed and thrown off to the distance. And, of course, that gets everybody, you know, very up in arms and very, very angry. And then we learn a secret about Sharon that not even Jack knew, like, going into the whole situation. That's it. We are leaving tomorrow morning, Jack. Oh, tomorrow no, no, morning. no, my dear woman. Uh, am I intruding? Just give the poor ghosts a little time. Hey, what history, dude? Couldn't we look on tonight as a kind of dress rehearsal? You're finished, Plunkett. I'm going to personally expose this pathetic fraud. There are laws, sir. I ask people like you. Marge, children, we're leaving. Maybe Jim Brogan will give us another chance. Jim Brogan? Uh, Jack. What's Jim Brogan got to do Jack. with this? Jack? Yeah, 
He has the mortgage on the place, and we've only got two weeks left, and then he's going to throw us out. Jack, I'm very tired. I'd like to go to bed now. Just wait. Now. A... Just wait a minute. What's going on here, Mr. Plunkett? So he told a lie. Everyone lies once in a while, so Katie isn't a ghost, and Julia still has her head on, and Eamon isn't a mummy, and the castle isn't haunted, but what of that? What you have to ask yourselves is, why did we do it? We did it because we love this place. Every little worm-eaten brick, every little rotting nook and cranny. <sighs> Why should you Americans care if I lose my home? Castle Plunkett. And the villagers lose their only means of employment. Jack. Jack, let's go to bed. I care, Mr. Plunkett. What? I care. Jim Brogan is my father-in-law, so I'm involved in this. You're Jim Brogan's daughter? Yes. My name's Brogan. Well, I might as well tell you that there won't be any extensions on your mortgage. I mean, not after tonight's performance. I don't believe this. Daddy asked me to check it out. I mean, this ghost business was too ridiculous. Uh, so you came to sabotage us? No, no, no. You did perfectly all right all by yourself. I didn't have to lift a finger. So that's the big revelation is that she is the daughter of whoever the guy's name is. Jim Brogan, I guess, this is the, the guy's name. I don't know where I got the long mire or where the fuck I said earlier. Uh, but she's the daughter of the guy that holds the deed to the place. And that the fact that, you know, he his impassioned speech is great. You can tell just from the character how much he has love for the place. He explains that the villagers of the town are going to have no place to go. They're going to have no work, no food, no money from anything that they do. And it really means a lot of them if they keep it there. And the beginning of the film, he's giving the same type of impassioned speech as well. Because he's basically, by asking him, don't you know any mercy? And of course, the dad is a fucking dick. And he's just like, no, I want that place. You have this much time. I don't get any fucking money. And there it is. So if he actually had the money at this point. He could have given it directly to Sharon. But I'm pretty sure that Sharon would have said, oh, fuck you. Don't worry about it. We're just going to take this place over. But it's kind of a dickish move for her to go ahead and tell Jack that this is all about them doing a vacation and maybe finding themselves. And he's so excited about doing this that all of a sudden this revelation, the fact that, you know, she <laughs> she's there to just do business is really, really heartbreaking to him. And it's one of the better scenes I think that Goot gives in this film. Daddy wants this place. He's always wanted it. He was born here. He hates the Blunkets. Why? Why not? Daddy hates most people. So you lied to me. You used our second honeymoon for Daddy. Jack, it's business. It's business? Obviously a word you're not familiar with. Okay, why are you with this woman? Like, that would have been it. That's it. I'm done with you. I'm not going to deal with this anymore. I'm not going to deal with your shit. 
you totally fucked this thing over. But there would have been signs way before. He's just so headstrong, probably in love at the point, and she's just using it as a status. We don't know anything about Jack. And we learned something huge about her in this instance, that her dad has a lot of money, right? Because he owns this castle, I guess, or he owns the mortgage uh, and he's able to transport it from Ireland to Malibu to make a theme park out of it. So maybe he owns like a set of theme parks or something. But the point of the matter is that she comes from money and automatically right there, like she still, and even as we get on the film, like she still views him as hers, that he's a possession and that's why she's with him. And maybe it'll make her look bad if she doesn't continue to be with him. I don't really know. We don't get that depth, but I can kind of get that from this character. And she's so fucking cold with the whole thing that even he's just like, look, you knew about this and you used me and you used our relationship to do business for your fucking dad. And her response is just business, something that you don't know about. So what is he, just a fucking loser that doesn't do anything? Like, has he never been able to hold a job? Has he never been able to get further on his career is he just is he working for daddy and that's just the way it is because hey daddy's got a lot of money and he wants to make sure that we're doing well so you got a job here we don't really know so like the line bites but how much does it bite it doesn't bite as much as it could it bites more against peter and the people that live in the castle than it does against jack and maybe that's where like we got this big tonal shift in the movie at this point And this is where I want to open up that door and kind of go into, like, my issue with the way... And and this is two movies in a row that have really done this to me, where at one point, I feel like it could have gone another way, and at another point, it could have gone uh, in this fashion. And this is where it went. And... The fact of the matter that we still haven't really got to the love story yet, yet our first act seems like it could be the end of the second and we're just getting into the third is ridiculous. Like, I wish that we spent a lot more time on them trying to scare the guests. Like, the fact of the matter is that if you got into the situation where they couldn't do it, they were kind of doing it, and then they were getting found out, but then the ghosts started getting into it, so the third act was them actually scaring the ghosts, and then you got to the point that you got to the ending, I feel like that would have been more of a cohesive movie. It's not that I don't like this movie, and this path is not entertaining at all just like with tammy and the t-rex it's not saying that it's not entertaining it's just not where i felt the movie was going and i felt like it could go like you could do something a little bit more with this part of the film and we basically shot our load right here in the first 20 minutes of the movie i know it's taken a long time just to go through the first 20 to 30 minutes of the movie but here we are so You have him, he just wants to go off, he just wants to get fucking drunk, right? And this is, like I said, this is where we get the tonal shift of the movie, where he goes and he hangs out with Peter, and Peter and him are basically getting drunk. And you got Peter, and I wanted to grab some of this, but there's so much dead air within it, and it's just... I felt like it was too much to cut and it made it feel really awkward when you were listening back to the audio of it. So I do apologize and I think that you guys should go out and find the scene at least because it is relatively funny because Peter O'Toole is, again, really good in the role that he's playing as Peter. And so 
they're talking, you know, he's basically saying that, you know, my father-in-law is a dick. Uh, you know, I didn't want this to happen to you guys because I really like this place. I really like what you're doing. It's entertaining. Like, he's not hell-bent. He's just there for the experience. And he thought that this was going to be good for his marriage, being a second honeymoon for the two of them. Who knows how long they've been married or how long they've been having problems, because it's pretty obvious that that part has been for some time. But usually you take your second honeymoon, what, maybe 10 years in, somewhere around there. So maybe they've been married for about 10 years, okay? And he really felt like this was going to breathe new life into the relationship. And it turns out that, no, it's just something else that she had to do because she needs to do it for dad. And dad doesn't want to be the one to go there. And his fucking ass should have been the one to go there and just fucking make sure he got his fucking money. And if he didn't, ah, fuck them. Then he can figure out how to take the fucking castle. So they get pissed drunk and he brings out his father's special spirits. And this is where I thought the entendre was. It was like the high spirits were going to be. He's going to drink this special brew. And that's what's going to be able to make him see the ghosts. Which, honestly, it's kind of true. So he stumbles back to his room. And he actually goes into a room where it's close to where he's sleeping with Sharon. But it's not Sharon's room. And that's where he runs across Mary. And Mary happens to be somebody that he saw earlier. He didn't see the ghost. But he saw a painting of her. To which Peter explained that that's his cousin from 200 years ago that was murdered in this very castle on the night of her marriage. And so what does he get to experience? He gets to see the murder of her, well, twice in a row. And we get to be introduced to two new actresses movie that I knew one of them was in it, right? I knew Daryl Hannah was it. She's gone from playing a mermaid love interest to being a ghost love interest now in this movie. But Martin who happens to be the husband that kills her, that actor surprised the ever-living shit out of me. No, Martin. Oh, hey, is that what you think? Oh. oh, no, Martin, no. Oh, I know you. You're the girl in the painting. Oh, yeah, we harlot. Oh, no, Martin. Oh, no, you are the one in the painting. No, 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 Come here, Dominic. Who's this guy? Come here, Dominic. Oh, great act. Real bruiser, too, huh? Wow, that's great. Hey, pal, you should have done this earlier. I think you could have saved the place. Where is he? Oh, oh, where is he? Where is he? Martin, there's no one. Where is he? Great, Alfred. Martin, there's no one. Where is he? There's no one. Where is he? No Looks one. real. Oh, Looks real. There's no one. Looks a little rough, but real. Why don't I believe you? Oh. You killed her. Oh, Mary. <laughs> oh, Lord, what have I done? What did you do? What did you oh, do? God. She's a mess. Oh, 
Martin, there's no one. Martin! Wait, hi. Martin, there's no one. There's no one. So even this scene, like, I can't get behind Gutenberg. Like, the more I've gone through, the first time, I just, I ignored it. The second time that I, when I grabbed the audio, I was like, ugh, it's it's a little trying. The third time, it's fucking terrible. He cannot fucking act drunk. It's just so ridiculous. Even the way these, it's funny. There, there are some funny fucking moments in there, like, when he's like, what did I do? You killed her. What did I do? I just told you. You killed her. It's not to say he doesn't have good lines. It's just the delivery is so fucking terrible that it drives me fucking mad. Oh, yeah, and that actor that I was surprised with, Liam fucking Neeson. Liam fucking Neeson is the fucking, like, husband that kills his wife, Mary. What? When did that fucking happen? Like, that wasn't anywhere. We didn't, I didn't see him in the trailers. I didn't see him in the notes. Nothing. I was like, are you fucking kidding me? This is definitely after Crawl. But I was so surprised to see him. And honestly, I think that he's great in this. I think that he's perfect in the timing that he needs to do and the character that he's playing. It's fantastic. And here it's, you know, it's tragic that she's got to basically relive this every night and she's got to be thrown onto the bed. She's got to be fucking slapped in the face a couple times. It doesn't get as like the first time that you see it, it's a little like violent. I don't want to say violent because that's not the the word. I guess that's kind of the word I've got to use. Uh, it seems like it's a little overdone. And then every subsequent time that you see it, that part's a lot fucking quicker. And But getting to her getting stabbed takes much longer every single time. It's so, It seems so ridiculous, but that's because they're doing different things in the scene. And of course, Jack, he steps in front of the knife and he basically gets stabbed in her place, even though she's not really stabbed. Like, he's able to walk through them perfectly fine and he's able to basically go and you know stand in between them and it doesn't stop anything but it manages to stop her getting stabbed in a repeating ethereal realm and it doesn't make any sense to me and of course she sees them over in the corner like she goes in the corner and sits down and she sees him and then she talks a little more to him and he thinks that he's just all seeing this because he's drunk and he doesn't really know how to handle the situation but she is giving him the, oh yeah, I'm gonna fuck you eyes, and uh, he's just not taking the ghost hint. What have I done? What have I done? Oh, Mary. Who are you guys? Oh, Mary. Mary Plunkett. Wait a minute. What have I done? Wait a minute. This is an act. <laughs> this is an act. How can I thank you? For what? For your selflessness. I, 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 I didn't do, I don't. How can I thank you? You're so beautiful. How can I thank you? Thank you. Don't go. Thank Why do you have to go? 
this is a huge shift in the way that the movie is. It's all silly and funny and ridiculous. And then this seems a lot more serious than it needs to be. I'm not saying it doesn't get still like silly and ridiculous. But again, it's such a weird shift for this movie for everything that you've done so far. You spent almost no time... I mean, it's a lot of time, yes, because we spend about 20 minutes of them going through this stuff, but all of a sudden you are just put into this weird, like, romance, like, almost Harlequin romance novel that you've got going on here, and I wish we had spent more time doing the crazy, like, kooky things that were being done with all the contraptions and all the different scares and actually scaring, because they do scare Jennifer Tilly and the priest, right? They do scare those people. They do scare the kids. They don't necessarily scare the psychic guy. And they could have used that kind of as a thing. Like, oh, how are we going to convince him? And then eventually bring the ghost in there. And then the whole thing figured out between Sharon and Jack. And even Sharon and Jack are kind of weird characters. And they still could have been there because she's the daughter of the person that holds the lease. And they have to convince her the most. So she doesn't believe it. And they're just going to go off on that. I would have been okay with that. That wouldn't have been that bad. But they just go in this very, like, serious tone for this moment. And then they go back to it being still kind of serious. Which is weird, because he goes back to the room. And he goes and tries to talk to Sharon. Of course, she's sound asleep. And he's like, do you love me? And she just snores. And she's like, well, the the ghost said she loved me. And then he decides, you know what? I'm just going to fucking kill myself. What? What what happened to all the crazy, funny, kooky things, and now he's going to fucking take all her volume and then try to off himself? But of course, the hands of Mary come in, and she waves, waves like magic hands and sprinkles magic ghost dust on him because she wants to fuck the shit out of him, and turns the volume into something else, which ultimately knocks him out because he's drunk as hell. And you would think that you would realize what you were swallowing, but I guess if you'd never take a volume before, and she chill turn him into pills, and maybe they were all just placebos, you know, to help Sharon out anyway. She thinks she's taking volume, but really it's just fucking sugar pills, which probably really what it is, but, you know, either that or she's got, like, weed in there, and, you know, that makes her feel better. Just a couple edibles and she'd be fine. But... He takes all of it, he passes out on the floor, and then we cut over and we see that the mom and then the ghost of the dead are now talking about that they're going to be giving the Americans actually what they want. Good morning, darling. Good morning, Lavinia. Well, our son is an idiot. We've known that for years, haven't we, darling? Well, this time he has surpassed himself. The ghosts are furious. Why? Well, they've heard that that Jem Brogan fellow is going to move the castle to Malibu. What nice! All that sunshine and all those movie stars. No respectable ghost would live in California. Besides, the Irish, what would they do there? Oh, if only I hadn't died, none of this would ever have happened. Well, you did die, didn't you, darling? So what are we going to do about it? Out of my hands. They won't listen to me. They're going to give those Americans exactly what they came here for. Serve them right. That's right. You heard me. Fuck you. 
<laughs> what the hell? What the hell's wrong with California, ghost? There's plenty of respectable ghosts here in California. I get it. You might not agree with all the policies and everything that goes on in this state, but you're living in fucking Malibu. Malibu's fucking fantastic, at least for the view. You have to deal with all the valley girl types and all the fucking rich people, but it's fucking Malibu, okay? Like, you get to move there for free. You know, you don't have to pay any type of rent. You don't have to worry about your wallet going towards that beautiful California sunshine or towards, you know, paying for everything and barely struggling and surviving out here. But you're in fucking California. Like, <laughs> you could just be like every single fucking Silicon Valley millennial that moves out here and just enjoy it, but fucking work your ass off. But guess what? You're fucking dead. California's fucking great for you. I wonder if that says something about ghosts and what they believe in in the afterlife. But nonetheless, so fuck you. <laughs> it's so ridiculous. Like, I just find that line so, like, it's it's funny and it's stupid at the same time. Like, okay, I get it. You're being ridiculous with the whole situation. So they decide that they're going to go out and they're going to, um, you know, haunt the guests now. That's the way that they're going to do this. They're going to give the Americans exactly what they wanted to. So everybody's basically packing up and they're getting ready to leave. We see Goots. He wakes up and he's on the floor and he thinks that he's dead. And he's like, so this is what it's like to be dead. And Sharon throws her nightgown on top of him. And if he was a ghost, it would have gone right through him. But he's waking up from a bad hangover. So, of course, he still thinks that he's actually, like, ethereal or something. And he decides to tell Sharon exactly how he feels thinking that he's dead. As long as I'm dead, I might as well tell you. You've got all the warmth of a penguin on an iceberg. You're a dwarf. Yeah, you better clean those choppers real good so you can chew up the next jerk who comes along, huh? I'm not dead? No, but if I were you, I wouldn't make any long-range plans. Great, Jack. Now I've got a massive migraine coming on. My B-complex level is rock bottom. Uh, Sharon, uh, let me see that. Let me see. Sharon, I think... Can't... Got packed, Jack. Yeah. Sharon, you, you took the Valium. Wrong pills. So he's still, like, it seems like he's still, like, into her, even though he's, like, told her what he thinks of her. But at the same time, he's like, oh, I gotta, like, backtrack on this whole thing. But, of course, he's also trying to figure out, wait, he didn't kill himself? What happened? Wrong pills. Even though they look exactly the fucking same as the other pills that were on the damn shelf. And she's got a lot of fucking volume. Like, she's got two fucking bottles full. And I guess you could mess it up. I, I don't fucking know. But it just seems so ridiculous that... When she goes and takes the volume, she's taking volume. But when he takes that one bottle and it looked like she waved both fingers over it, that both are, you know, should be the same exact fucking thing. But then again, maybe they are sugar pills and she thinks that she's doing stuff. But he still has this like remorse for what he said. I feel it's not because he's like remorseful for thinking it. Maybe he's a little bit, but that he's still kind of into her and he's a nice guy. So he just doesn't want to deal with her shit. And of course, what does she do? But she goes and phones daddy and explains exactly what Jack did to her and how everybody are treating him like the spoiled little brat that she is. I said this place is a nightmare, daddy. Of course I sound strange. I'm depressed. Everybody hates me. 
And last night, Jack slept on the floor, and, and when he woke up, he said he was dead, and, and that I was a dwarf, and that I had duck teeth. And you know how self-conscious I am about those things. This is all your fault. I hate this place. are you all right? Do you think that I'm colder than a penguin on an iceberg? Well, no. No, you see, actually, uh, penguins are a lot warmer than people give them credit for. <laughs> Okay, so she's a fucking bitch. Like, I know I've said that before. I'm probably going to say it a lot. But it's so fucking ridiculous because she's automatically blaming daddy for what's going on. But he, she was willing to go out there and do this because it's quote-unquote for business. Yet she's upset because everybody hates her. I fucking love Beverly D'Angelo. The more I listen to the character and the more that I've had experience with it, I really like the way that she does that role. It's perfect. I hate her. And she does it in the way that I just absolutely hate her and it makes me just like it warms the cockles of my fucking heart every time that she's on the screen doing this some people might think it's really annoying and it honestly is quite a bit annoying uh, for the most part but i think that's a you know the mark of a good actress really getting into her role and really giving it her all for that character because you hate her so fucking much and yeah she's expressing exactly what the audience is going to be feeling at this point because you fucking hate her i fucking hate her you guys might fucking hate listening to her but that's just the way it is and i fucking love it so she even kisses the husband right the husband of the the two kids and he's like, don't tell my wife. But you know what? Tell the fucking wife because it's not your fucking fault. You're helping her. You're trying to comfort her because she's sitting there and she's crying and you're being caring and you're realizing that this, she's just got all this stuff on her fucking mind. She looks hysterical. And then when she kisses you and then slaps you in the fucking face, fuck that bitch. Okay? You go out there and you blast her to every fucker out there. But you know what? You're probably a good guy because you're probably like, uh, unless you've been like caught doing something like that before you know you should just fucking blast her to everybody that is look she's fucking being hysterical if she says something you don't necessarily have to do it if you need to unless you really want to blast that bitch then blast that bitch all of the fucking place i don't give a shit uh but and plus she's fictional so i really don't give a shit but <laughs> nonetheless like if she decides to turn that against you, you turn it against her. But I understand it's one of those things where it might not go in your favor. So, uh, you know, you're not going to tell the wife. But I would still say, fuck that bitch. So, she runs off and she goes to get into the car. And Jack is busy, left behind, gathering all the luggage like the little fucking whipping boy that he is. And, of course, he runs into Mary one more time. And it's really weird because... They're both falling in love with each other after one fucking night, and it makes no fucking sense. I have to thank you for what you did last night. It was nothing. What'd I do? You gave me my first moment of peace in near 200 years. I'll be in your debt for eternity, sir. It was nothing. It was nothing. And you don't have to call me sir. What can I call you? Uh, uh, Jack? Jack. Thank you, sir, <laughs> Jack. It's on me, okay? Lovely dress. My wedding dress. Today is my wedding day. Tonight, he'll murder me. 
You get murdered every night? Every night until last night. What about tonight? That depends on you. Why me? Your love broke the chain, crossed the boundary. Oh, my God! Hold on! You can't depend on me! Nobody can depend on me! My wife would never understand. I can't... Oh, it wasn't love then. Hold Mary. We hardly know each other. Okay! Look, I gotta go. Don't go, Jack. I gotta, I just, I, look, I... You want to forget me. I don't know what I want. I just don't. So because he found her beautiful, he's falling for her. I can kind of get hers, right? Because she's been stuck in this endless loop of being stabbed every night, as we're going to learn. And he came in and he did one selfless thing and totally stopped that from happening for one fucking night. And I can get it. Like, you're having to deal with this asshole of a man that's constantly coming in and killing you and it's hurting you where maybe the ghost can stop it. Because as we learn, all of a sudden the rules break for every fucking thing in this movie once he steps in and gets quote unquote stabbed, right? And then all of a sudden she's in love with him. Okay, get that. But... How is he starting to fall in love with her just because she's fucking beautiful? That's it? That's the only reason why? It's fucking stupid. I don't care. Like, you could say, okay, I get it. Well, you know, maybe because he's been beat down so much and that, you know, she doesn't really treat him right and she doesn't really do, you know, the things like a a wife was if he was so, you know, into her and all these things. But at the same time, she shows no affection to him, right? And... It it would make him fall for somebody else. I get it, but to go this far and to do the things that are going to happen in this movie, there should have been more time with this. You're trying to tie two different fucking stories, and you've completely went away from the whole plight of Peter and his family and losing the castle to this ghost fucking love story. Why couldn't it have just been set up to be this ghost fucking love story? Or why couldn't it be just the crazy kooky things that are going on with the fucking family trying to save the fucking castle and convincing him and him helping them because I hate the fucking father and at the end of it he just fucking dumps her ass? Why? Why do we need to go through this? It makes no fucking sense to me. Why do we get two different, completely different fucking stories in this movie that doesn't know what it wants to fucking be? And and we even get introduced to a couple of things that are crazy uh, just coming up in the next fucking scene. So as he says goodbye to her, the winds are all fucking picking up all over the place and it's just blowing everything everywhere. It blows him out of the house and blows him into a tree that hits with lightning and it blows all the clothes off the fucking people in the damn car. Everybody is in their underwear. That's the next big gag. Why? Why are they all in their underwear? I don't get it. Is it funny? Kind of. Is it sexy? Well, you know, Jennifer Tilly and lingerie kind of sexy. Yeah, I'd be okay with that. Uh, But it just... It doesn't... Again, it's like... Here comes the regular hauntings that could have just been a part of the first fucking storyline or blended into each other. It, it, It just kind of like batty and driving me crazy. So, Goots get blown into a tree. He drops down from the tree and he sees a horse that starts talking to him. What? That's really fucking random. And honestly, the prosthetics and the practical stuff they use for the horse are not bad. 
to, to be honest with. It's cheesy. Yeah, I get it. And I think it's meant to be in that way. But the horse leads him on. He's going to lead him over to Mary. Meanwhile, because everything's been blown away into wherever in the trees and stuff like that, uh, it seems like everybody's going to be staying at least for one more night. And that makes Peter very happy because, again... He's about to fucking kill himself until he finds out that they're all going to be staying there for at least one more night. Die to sleep no more and by a sleep to say we end He's a the trees of Eisenstein! There is a God. Hey, would your name conceivably be Jack. Yeah. Welcome back, dear guests. Let me be the first to apologize for our temperamental Irish weather. Shut up, punkit. Call us a cab. Certainly, Mr. Bay, immediately. Deepest regrets, the phones are dead. The storm must have knocked them out. So we're all together for one more night. Seems that we're becoming one big happy family. Sorry, Mr. Pete. walk into town in this suit of armor and spend the night in the stable and to spend one more second in this hellhole. Marge! Children, relieve it! Okay, who knew the God of Thunder was going to be at this place and blasted that fool with lightning and threw him way on top of one of the Kennel Operas? And you get a cool, like, homage shot to fucking Frankenstein right here. As they lower him down, he's stretched out and he's been shocked by the lightning and everything. I, I honestly like that shot pretty... It was pretty good. Um, it, it just... It's really ridiculous. He heard the horse, and I think that's Liam Neeson as the horse as well, that's talking to him and is going to lead him to Mary. So possibly the horse is meant to be Martin, and like Martin's even trying to break the curse, but then Martin's a jealous bitch, so I don't know what the fuck is going on. Why the horse sounds in that way? Maybe it's not. Maybe it is. Who the fuck knows? Who the fuck cares? It just gets us to our next scene. And again, we see everybody, they're all wearing random things, too, because all their clothes got blasted off. You see Sharon in, like, a nightshade. Uh... You know, the father, he's still wearing his collar, but he's now got, like, rugs draped over him to basically, I guess, protect everybody from seeing his giant wang or something like that. So, well, there's got to be a reason other than the fact that he's a priest that Jennifer Tilly's into him, right? I mean, she should be into me instead. But that's something else. We won't go into that anymore. So... We see them, you know, they're all pissed off, and we see that now Jack, he hasn't been affected by the whole, you know, wind and losing his clothes thing, but he is led over to Mary, and this is probably the longest clip that we've got for this whole thing, but it's going to explain, you know, how she's in love with him. And what he could do to basically bring her back. And he's really conflicted. I get it. But again, the delivery doesn't necessarily give that type of effect to it. It just makes him sound more of an asshole. Sweet Mother Mary, St. Bridget. Mary? 
Please don't let me marry him. Please release me. Mary. Sweet Mother Mary. Mary! Sweet Jesus, what happened to you? Ran into a little wind. Oh, dear. That would be the spirits in the castle. Sorry. What are you doing? I'm praying to St. Bridget to release me from my marriage vows. Look, this is too psychotic for me. I mean, look. I mean, I'm, I'm as up for a good nervous breakdown as anybody, really. But but this is too much. I mean, I get here yesterday, my marriage collapses. Then I save a ghost from being murdered by another ghost. Now, if you think about it, that makes no sense at all. Then I fly through the air, hit a tree, and then and, and Ronaldo, the talking horse here, leads me to, to the most beautiful ghost I, I've ever seen in my... Last night, when you took Martin's sword in my stead, you broke the cursed chain that has bound me for 200 years. What cursed chain? My marriage to Martin Brogan was arranged by my father. I did not love him. He had warts and his feet stank. On my wedding night, I refused to be tupped by him. Tupped? Oh, tupped? I get it. Go on, go on, go on. He thought I loved another, though I did not. And in a jealous fury, he did me to death. Now, every day for me is the same. If I get murdered one more time, I'll scream. We'd want to be a ghost. We are what we are. So, uh, this Marty stank, huh? I, and he squished. He squished? Oh, he squished. Could you love a, a man who, who, who belched but uh, didn't squish? I could love you, Sir Jack. If you loved me, the miracle could happen. I can't. I can't. I cannot do this. I am married. Ah, uh, then you don't love me. I didn't say that. And I am doomed forever. Even now, Martin dons his garments, sharpens his knife. Goodbye, Sir Jack. Look, you're a ghost. I'm an American. It would never work out. Sweet Mother Mary. Saint Columb. Mary, look, I don't want you to get Saint murdered Bridget. again. I don't. It's just that Please my wife, me. if she found out, Please she murdered me. Okay, so she's kind of shallow as fuck as well i get it arranged marriage you know the whole drill you're not necessarily like really be into somebody that you don't find attractive i totally get it but that was the reason why and shut i'm assuming that's fart because that's what happens in the next scene and we'll we'll talk about that in just a second but it seems really ridiculous that she's just like automatically like well i could love you and then you just have to love me too and he's like Whoa, aren't we moving a little too fast here? I mean, I saved you from being stabbed, and, you know, you're here, and you're just the most beautiful ghost I've ever seen. Like, come on, dude. I mean, I know that you're horny to get some, and you're just looking at her, and you're just like, hey, I could probably get a piece of that fucking ass if I just told her I loved her, and then everything would be fine, and, you know, 
we'd maybe bone a couple more times and then I'd go back to my wife and she's like, like my marriage is falling apart. It's been falling apart for a long fucking time. And this is the reason why you're going to go after a ghost. Like you just see this lady and honestly, okay, please don't take this in the wrong way, but I do not find Daryl Hannah attractive at all in this fucking movie. Like splash. I don't know. Maybe it was the mermaid thing. And it was like, how do you fuck a mermaid? You know what? Maybe I'd like to try. But here, uh, okay, scratch that, reverse it. Wait, no, don't do not do that either. Um, but anyway, so it's just like, she doesn't, like, she's got a weird thing going on with her face. <laughs> That's the only way I can kind of say it. Like, it just seems like it's concave or something. And the accent kind of wanes here and there. And it's just... Like, they're perfect for each other because they're not quite acting that well in the role across from each other. Because Daryl Hannah, you know, she's done some very awesome roles. Splash, I thought was great. The Kill Bill movies, she's fucking fantastic. She's probably one of my favorite things about Volume 2. And it sucks that she has to get spoiled uh, oft so, like, seemingly early in that film. But it's just, like, you see her here and you're just like, okay... I guess you would be attracted to Steve Gutenberg, and Steve Gutenberg would be attracted to you. So, have at it. Like, if I was Beverly D'Angelo, I'd be like, okay, cool. Go with that. Uh, I could get better. I mean, I look better. Um, I could totally get better. And then I'd be in the priest's corner kicking his ass so I can go ahead and hang out with Jennifer Tilly some. Like, hey, guess what? I- I'm into Jesus and turning away from Jesus too. Uh, so what do you think about that? And she might be like, no, you fucking suck. And then I'd be like, oh, well, I guess I gotta go find a ghost girl and save her life so that she'll automatically fall in love with me. You're not a ghost girl, are you, Tilly? And she'd tell me no. And then I'd be upset some more. But it's, uh, it's, it's just completely ridiculous. Like, the whole thing is, it's the first night he saves her. And then she's totally in love because he's different than what Martin's been doing her. I get it, you know, stabbing her. But the fact that she didn't want to sleep with him, she he had warts, you know, and he farted. That was the th- main three reasons why she didn't want to be with him. So while she disappears and he's looking there all lovelorn and, you know, the horse is out there, you know, just kind of sitting there never to come back again. Uh, we cut over and we see that Sharon, she's bathing and she's getting all cleaned up. Then all of a sudden, Martin shows up just randomly to like look at her. And this is kind of that one weird situation where I don't know how exactly this works or how it happens, but nobody can touch a ghost in this entire film. He can't touch her. And every time he's tried, it's either gone through her or she's disappeared at that time. But yet Martin, who just stands there in the shower, fucking farting his ass off, which is ridiculous too. Like farting Liam Neeson. Okay. It's kind of funny to be honest with you. Uh, and he just starts rubbing up on her. Like, washing her. And, like, he's grabbing her tits and grabbing her ass. And she's fucking enjoying it. And she thinks that it's, you know, fucking Jack back there. Oh, you've never done this before, Jack. Is that all he had to do? Was just surprise her? Surprise her with washing her and, like, feeling her up? And then she would have totally been into it? But no, she turns around. She sees that it's Martin. And Martin disappears. And, of course, Jack comes in at, you know, the inopportune time. And then she gets really upset with him. And, again, runs off. I can't believe that you're doing this. And it's seems so ridiculous 
So he leaves the room, he walks down the hall, and he's stopped by Peter's mom, who basically is like, well, you're in love with her, aren't you? Because he's like, I don't know what I'm doing. What's this whole thing with the ghost? I'm not sure. And so you cut from there, and then you go into more shenanigans with the the other members of the house and the ghosts. And you probably get one of my favorite scenes that we've got, because we see Jennifer Tilly across the way, and she's getting dressed, and... You know, the priest is looking on and then he's like, no, I can't do this. This is the way that I am. And I'm just like, dude, I'm right fucking with you, bro. It's okay. You can stare at Jennifer Tilly. Totally throw away the cloth. You have the chance. You have the power. You've got the fucking touch, man. Just go for it. And so what happens? A bunch of like nuns just show up nuns with glowing red eyes start surrounding him in the room well first they go after jennifer tilly and they throw her off into the the waters below and so she lands in lagoon and then when he's out there they start going after him and that part is excellently creepy i love what they did for the design for the nuns and the way they look and the red eyes and the whole thing it's like a penance for him he's like thinking impure thoughts and they're all coming after him and eventually they throw him into the water as well and he ends up down there with jennifer tilly there's some shenanigans with the kids that i think was a really well done scene as well and it was it was both funny and entertaining at the same time because they're watching like oh i can't believe it there's only four fucking channels out here they're being fucking brats as well and then there's like a book that gets taken and thrown into the tv and then the person that's doing the jazzercise on the tv throws the book at them and they get spooked by the ghosts it's a good scene and eventually the the person on the tv says you know you guys are just a bunch of brats and i'm like fucking bravo at least somebody fucking told them uh it, it's just good like that stuff that's where i'm like where where was this? Like, this should have been, like, the majority of what was going on. We could throw out the whole Mary thing, and we don't have to fucking work at it, like, the whole thing. And just stick to this type of story of scaring the guests. And I think it would have been... I felt a lot better. The other stuff just doesn't seem needed. Or you just have it in that fucking realm that he goes there, and there's going to be... You know, he ends up finding her right away. And I guess that's kind of where they went, but I felt with all the shenanigans that were going on in the beginning, it didn't need to have that to get that story going forward. So... You have the kids, they're scared. The parents also do get something, but it's more or less like his paranormal tools start going crazy, and that leads him to like leave the whole place and to go start exploring. I should also mention during the whole pre-scene, like when they're the nuns are going after him, they start burning his fucking dick. Okay? Again, that's another thing I got at. How many fucking movies am I gonna have where I have to add more shit to the list of stuff you don't do to a fucking dick? But I get it. He's a priest. So maybe in this regard, those ghost nuns can fucking start, like, burning his fucking dick because he shouldn't be thinking with his dick. But again, it's old fucking K. It's fucking Jennifer Tilly, guys. Leave him alone. So, if you're thinking about Jennifer Tilly, then you don't burn somebody's fucking dick. But if he's a priest and he's thinking about people then maybe if you're evil nuns, you start burning him in the fucking dick. So it's like a 50-50. I'm going to throw it on the list anyway. So he goes running off. He tries to explore what's going on. And there's a couple of more things that happen with him. Also with the kids scene, there are some things where the kids are basically like thrown around with there's a bunch of fire and shit that's blowing on things. Like I said, the scenes are very good. You should go back and watch those things. But we go back and we see that Jack, you know, he's still talking to Peter's mom. And she's going to explain to him that there is a way to bring 
her back, to bring Mary back. And that all is detailed in the Book of High Spirits. Now, she doesn't say that. It floats to him, and he sees it, and that's where it comes on its top. And, like, on the top of the book. And that's where I was like, oh, okay, there's the title of the movie. can move mountains. Yeah, but it can't bring the dead back to life. Oh, yes, it can. On All Hallows' Eve. Halloween? That's tomorrow night? Yes. When the spirit moves and the flesh is willing and the, the juices flow and the scalping uh, is mighty. Uh, what's scalping? It's <laughs> a ghost term. But it's dangerous. You mustn't go too far. So there is something that I've totally forgot about before we go into this scene because there's a couple things. But uh, the, what does scare the the man, uh, the husband, is that a hand comes out of one of the decorations on the wall. It's like a bloody hand that grabs him in the face and it scares the living crap out of him. And then it tells him like, no, 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 or something. It does something to him uh, as he runs away that, you know, getting him to believe that the place is actually haunted. Now... The thing with this scene, now, there, there isn't anything, like, truly major that I have, okay, there's one major thing that I have wrong with the scene, but the whole idea is that she's just like, yeah, of course, like, I'm married to a ghost, and then basically, like, scalping or scalping or whatever it is, it's basically sex, sex with a ghost, that's what you can do that night, and that's where she's like, but you don't want it to go too far, because if it goes too far, as it's detailed inside this book, then, you know, something bad is going to happen to you and possibly to the ghost as well, but... How in the hell did we get to fucking Halloween? All Hallows' Eve is happening. When did they say anything about that? When? I, I, I don't know. I haven't heard it in any of the audio that I've grabbed. I didn't go back and watch, rewatch the whole movie or the whole beginning to figure out if they're talking about, oh, this haunting thing, it's going to happen, and Halloween's coming, we're going to make this whole thing. I thought this whole thing is just because it's scary, here's this place. Oh, that just happens to be tomorrow. What the fuck? Like, Deus Ex mocking up my fucking ass right here. It's so fucking ridiculous that Halloween is just all of a sudden about to fucking happen. It just happens to happen within the time frame that they're going to be there and that she needs to become real. It's just perfectly spit, like, (laughs) spit? No, it's perfectly put right into this movie as just a way to make sure everything fucking happens. It's so ridiculous, and I get it. I get why they did it, but it's... It's just fucking stupid. So now we run down back downstairs and we see that Peter again, he's a little forlorn about the whole thing and everything kind of going on. But everybody is fucking scared and they're all basically coming after Peter and they're basically trying to tell him that what the fuck is going on. There are there is something majorly wrong here and he's just trying to laugh it off as, hey, again, it's in the contract. But of course, Sharon is having nothing to do with it. Whom are you expecting? Come on, get those fake ghosts of one thing. This is entirely different, isn't it? Is there something wrong with our room? We're talking real, live spirits here. How do you explain this? The weather. Oh, come off it, will you? Don't you understand? He wants us here. He knows it's the only way he can keep this dump. 
I don't know about the rest of you, but Plunkett, <laughs> you haven't fooled me at all. I, I've been fooled. Oh, I've, me too. I've been Explain this to me. So she's not having anything of it because she thinks that it's still a whole ruse to basically convince them to extend the mortgage or they can get the money that they need or whatever this is going to be. But he's also just kind of like, or at least the rest of the group is really having none of it because they've all experienced something that's otherworldly, even though she has too, but all she got was a fucking butt rub down and the boob grab. Like that's not that bad for her. And she found it quite enjoyable, especially when she thought that it wasn't Jack or maybe that was Jack. So it just seems like I love the line too with the priest where he's just like, well, I was fooled. And Jennifer Till is like, yeah, I'm too. Fuck, that guy's got everything. But she goes back up to the room. She goes back up to find Jack. And Jack is busy inside the room where Mary is going to be killed. And he's reading the Book of High Spirits. And he thinks that's Mary that comes in. But no, it happens to be Sharon. And they both experience the ghosts and the whole tragedy of Mary for the first time at the same time. So this means a ghost cannot make love with a human being. Oh my god. Mary? Who's Mary? Uh, Who's this Mary? She's a woman. She's a ghost. Oh, just no, she's don't a woman start ghost. this ghost stuff She's again. someone I care about, and I, I'm, I, it's funny how you can care. I think I'm falling... Jack, don't stand there and tell me that you're yeah. having an affair with a goddamn ghost. Well, I am. No, no wait that's a it. you got to give me a chance. You can't just lawyer, walk right... My lawyer, and I hope the ghost has a lawyer because I want to meet him. You know, you can't believe this. Here she is. This is Mary. No, so, yeah, we harlot. No, Martin. On top of that, that's Martin. That's the man that was in my bathroom. That's Martin the ghost. Yeah, he's going to come over and throw her on the bed here. He's gigantic. That's Martin the ghost. They're having problems in their relationship. No, Jack, we're having problems in our relationship. Come here. Honey, you got to see this. Come on. 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 Why don't I believe you? Believe this! Honey, honey, you can't just kick a ghost. You see that? Oh, yeah, look what you did. Mary. Mary. Wait. Wait, Mary. I love you. I know that. You do? When did you know that? The minute I saw you. The minute I knew I loved you. But your love must be true. It is. It must withstand all obstacles. It will. It will. Oh, Mary, my darling. What have I done to you? What have I done? That was a dirty trick, wasn't it? Hey. Hey. Kicking me right in the bahookies. Were you going to stab your wife with a sword, you pig? Ah, sure, that's no big thing. I do it every night. And I suppose watching other men's wives in the bathtub is no big deal either. Ah, sure, it's a grand thing if the wife happens to be you. You dirty peeping Tom. My name is not Tom. It's Martin. Oh, Mary. Oh, Mary, I'm sorry, darling. What have I done to you? What have I done? Oh, God. Oh, God. Here, give us a wee scalp before it vanishes. No, no, no. Not again. She's your way wee vexing, aren't you? Oh, Lord, what have I done? Oh, God, what have I done? Oh, God, what a woman. 
So Martin is totally fucking sprung for Sharon and Sharon is starting to get fucking sprung for Martin at the same time. Cause at the end of that, that it kind of cut off there. She's like, well, thank you. You know, it's, it seems so fucking ridiculous that she's automatically falling for him cause he's a bad boy and he's nothing like what fucking Jack is. Who's a nice guy. And meanwhile, you know, you have Mary over here falling for Jack because he's a nice guy and not the ugly, disgusting pig that fucking Martin is. So they're the best of both worlds for each other for the opposite person. Right. It's, and even then he's like crying. over he's like, Oh man, I want me a piece of that. So he wants a piece of that ass. She looks like she wants a piece of that ghost ass. But yet, she's still, like, in this mindset of, hey, I'm just, our relationship is bad, and, you know, you're an asshole because you're trying to go after this ghost person, yet I've been felt up by this guy, and I totally enjoyed it. I made out with that husband guy for a second and enjoyed it because it made me feel beautiful, but you're the fucking asshole because you're feeling feelings for a fucking ghost, you fucking ridiculous prick. It just... It's weird, again, it's kind of a weird thing that they're going through, and it's a weird shift, but at least it makes it, like, somewhat understandable to what the situation that's going on in this, like, B story that's going on within the A story of the hotel's gonna be taken over by her dad. So, we cut back over and we see that Mary and Jack are talking, and she does pass through him and does the schleppen, uh, which is the basically like how a ghost, I guess, has sex or gets a feeling for a human person. And he gets all tingly and she gets all tingly, but it takes a lot out of her, so she has to disappear. We go back downstairs and we see that Peter is still distraught. He's still thinking about possibly killing himself because now all this crazy shit is happening and the people are going to go after him in a different way and maybe ruin him. And that's where, in his room full of people, as he's talking to everybody, shit starts going down and the ghosts come back and he is scolded by his ghost daddy. What's wrong with it? What's wrong with these Americans? One night they're desperate to leave, the next night you can't get rid of them. One day they hate the fighting, the next day they have to have all five courses. When you break your back to give them the ghosts you thought they wanted, they scream at you, and when you throw the towel in, they scream even louder. They see spooks everywhere. Spooks in the bathroom, spooks under the bed. Do they know when the joke is over? Are they tell nothing? What is going on here, Eamon? Why are chunks of masonry floating about? Sister. Uh, half sister. Uh, not to mention. Oh, no. 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 Your daddy. But he's dead! I know. He looks terrible angry, too. 
And I have a perfect right to be, considering what you have done to our ancestral home. think you could get away from me? Leave me alone, you're dead. Not so dead, I can't see what a numbskull you are. Oh, fine. Call me names. That's so easy. But for God's sake, look at you. What did you ever give me this place for? You knew I wasn't incompetent. All I wanted to be was happily useless. You made me miserably useless giving me this place. Fast to run. Bills to be paid. And then dying on me just like that. Most people give some warning, you know. Premature senility, angina, gout, bedridden for years, but not you. Oh, no, no, no. Healthy as an old goat, you pop off one day in the orchard. And what then? Not a goddamned word, not a whisper. Did it never occur to you that I might need some advice? I might miss you. Peter, I, I never thought it was true. You old ghost. I missed your daddy. Oh, give your daddy a well, it's nice to see that Peter's got his daddy issues finally resolved over this small conversation with Ghost Dad. Like, I love Peter O'Toole. Like, this scene cements it. Like, the other scenes are so good that he's in. And he does a really good job of portraying the character and how much he loves the place. But then here it really shows, like, how lost he actually feels. Like, he doesn't know what to do. He, he, he's frustrated with the Americans because th- when they want ghosts and he tries to give them ghosts, they get mad. And then when real ghosts happen to be up and things are creepy and crazy, then they don't want to be there anymore because the ghosts are real. Well, quote unquote, he still doesn't know that they're real. And then he's surprised by all the real ghosts and everybody because it's becoming all Hollow's Eve. So all the ghosts are going to come out and you can actually physically see everybody and everybody's fucking surprised. But his mom knows. So shouldn't he know? And shouldn't the people of the castle know what's possibly going to go on? But they're kind of as dumbfounded as he is because maybe they don't believe in the whole thing of what everything is happening and what's going on. So I totally get that and that type of like explanation for it. But with his mom, like she's the whole time, she's just like, yeah, this is going to happen. And she's even been telling him, oh, yeah, all your spirits are mad with you and everything. And he just doesn't want to believe it. And then he finally sees his dad and they have like a heartfelt like one-on-one i love the lines where he says you know most people when they're about to die they tell you they give you signs that they're about to die whether it's angina or gout or whatever it is but no you just had to go into the orchard and just fucking die (laughs) like why are you pissed off at them it's not his fault it's not like that's what he planned to do you know what i'm just gonna go to the fucking orchard and just fucking like die from something random either being stabbed with something shocked by lightning bitten by a poisonous snake something just so i don't have to fucking deal with my son anymore that's not really what happened with him right it's it's a good scene and the fact too that he goes to hug his dad and he falls right through him and he's like oh that's the last draw and dad's just like sorry about that um it's just a very heartfelt scene and he finally comes to terms that there are the spirits there he can do something. Maybe he can actually work with them. But it took them so long to actually step in and do anything. And he's just like, 
I'm a fucking idiot. You knew I was a fucking idiot. Why didn't you try to help me sooner? Because I really needed your help. And mom's not really there to help me do anything. But you could have done something this whole time. And they both come to the, well, I'm sorry I did this. And now everything's totally kosher. And we can just move on with the rest of the movie. So we go back up into the bedroom of Sharon. And guess who decides to pop up? Why, it's good old ghost-killing husband there to try and seduce her. Madam. Oh. Madam. For you, I missed my wedding for the first time in years. That's how much I want you. Act sure I know I'm a ghost and a murderer, but forget about all that. Listen. Tonight's All Hallows' Eve. The one night in the year that I turn to flesh. So, what do you say to a wee bit of scalp for me? At least tell me your name. Wow. Oh, lady, I've got the best boogies from here to Ballandary. Come on, what do you say? Let's give it a twirl, eh? Drop dead. Oh, God, what a woman. So he loves that he's abused and that she can give it right back to him. And it's funny because he like he disappears, but the bottom half of him doesn't. And then she's impressed, not by his dick, okay? She's impressed by his balls. Because that's what he calls his balls. He calls them behoogies. So maybe that's what it is. Maybe Jack, his dick is just too big, but his balls are so fucking tiny that it just doesn't excite her. And then he looks over, she looks over at Martin and sees the biggest fucking balls that she's ever fucking seen. And she didn't get to feel them because when she kicked, she just kicked right through them. Again, the one thing, the number one thing you shouldn't do to a dick is kick it, right? But she couldn't. So I'm not going to blame her for it. I'm not going to chastise her for it. And plus, she was trying to stop him from, like, killing the wife again because she was doing at least something right and something that, you know, a normal person would try to stop. But it's just, <laughs> it's it's so ridiculous that he's just like, yeah, my balls are huge, and that's why you like me. Like, he's probably got, like, a pencil dick, and then he's got these massive fucking coconuts that are just there in his pants and just ready for you to, uh, okay, I'm just going to move on from there. And it's just funny because, ladies, we're not just our balls. We're people, too. So from there, we cut over and we see that everybody is panicking and they're all at the bar. They're all getting drinks. They don't know what they're going to do. And the the Irish people are like, just stop. And everybody's trying to grab alcohol except for the kids. And then all of a sudden, the stage show that they did earlier starts to move. And there's a very elaborate scene that is absolutely fantastic with the practical effects and you see that the mermaid dives in and there's this giant splash and then water sprays over everybody. Then there's a giant whale. The whale does the same thing, but a giant whale tail comes into the audience. And now I'm not talking about a thong and a fat girl. I'm talking about an actual whale tail that comes out and slams against the ground and shakes everything. Then all of a sudden there's a giant squid that comes out and everybody's like, what's that? And one of the kids is like, it's a giant squid. 
and the tentacles come out and actually grab the kid and start pulling him into the play. And he turns into one of the like art pieces that are back there. Rather than being a kid, he's basically shown being grabbed on by the, the squid. And then they throw the line in there. They throw like a, an inner tube to go catch him. And it also transforms. I really love the way that this scene is done. Because it, it's cool that they do the two things where... When it's on focused on them, it's real stuff. But when it's focused on the stage, it's just all like pieces of the stage that they're seeing, even though the, everything's been transformed. So they do manage to get the kid out. And then Peter comes by and he's just kind of smiling. And they're just like, he's like, what happened? Did it start leaking again in here? And everybody's freaked out. So they take everybody and they go outside and they go to where the bus, like, you know, went into the lake. And basically the husband declares that this is a spirit-free zone. Everybody cheers except for Peter, even though you don't have it focused on him. He's just going, like, he's going along with everything they're doing, knowing that there's going to be something more that's going to happen here and to scare the bejesus out of them. And so he, they all celebrate and cheer. And we cut back over into the room with Mary and Jack. And Jack is setting things up to be a wonderful night between the two of them, even though he knows that they can't have sex because that could lead to something else. So basically, there's something in the book that says, you know, if you bring the dead, or basically, long story short, if you fuck the dead, you're going to bring the dead, <laughs> right? And he doesn't quite understand what that means, but they try to take their like minds off of it because he wants to get the true love and actually bring her to life as the person that she is. We cut outside and we see where you start intercutting scenes of them like starting to get hot and heavy. And we're just going to play the little thing before they really get down to business. And then we're going to explain what's going out on the lake. Did we just talk? No, but it's not too far off. Right, right. Hey, how about some champagne, huh? A little champagne to get our mind off the old you-know-what. Right? Whoa, usually messes up. Drink to me only with thine eyes, and I will pledge with mine. Or leave a kiss within the cup, and I'll not ask for a wine. That was so beautiful. Who wrote it? Ben Johnson. Oh, Ben Johnson. You know, whenever I hear Ben's material, it just makes me think about, you know what... I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm really sorry. I apologize. Quote me something. Quote? A anything to keep our minds off. You know what? Right. A quote. There ain't nothing in the world like a big-eyed girl to make me act so funny, make me spend my money, makes me feel real loose like a long-necked goose. Dun-dun-dun. Oh, baby, that's a what I like. That's so... Who wrote that? The Big Bopper. Maybe you know him. He's dead, too. Okay. Seriously? That's where we're going to go? <laughs> we're going to start quoting the Big Bopper to impress a ghost? <laughs> Why don't you just say, <laughs> make me feel real loose like a long neck goose? That's right. Oh, baby, that's what I like. Like, 
It's so ridiculous. If it was delivered by somebody better, I think it would have been even funnier if he had really gotten to it. But you can tell, like, he's playing this awkward guy just way too awkward in this situation. So we have them getting down and ready. And she's she didn't even say she likes it. So that's okay. And then who would who did that? Like, that's so weird. But it is what it is. Outside, we see that they're still all celebrating, but all of a sudden, the bus is now coming out of the lake. And who's driving the bus? Why, it's Martin. And Martin is starting to chase because he wants to get that piece of Sharon so bad because it's starting to turn midnight and they're going to be able to touch each other and he can get those behoovies all over her fucking face. So... He starts chasing her after a bus. The ghosts all start coming out, all the spirits, and they start messing with everybody. One goes after Jennifer Tilly, and Jennifer Tilly gets saved by the priest, and he starts saying, take me instead, take me, and the ghost then lifts him up in the air and tosses him somewhere. We see that Martin is still chasing after Sharon, eventually cornering her at one point, but ends up driving right into the the castle and flies into the room. And that's where we see what has happened between Jack and Mary. Now, they end up having sex. Like, they have passionate, sweaty sex. That's just what it is. And when everything's done and satisfied and he's planted his seed inside of her, maybe that's what she's like. You can't go this far. You know, you don't... (laughs) Please, please, no cream pies, because that's going to bring me to life. And what does he do? He cream pies her. And then all of a sudden, she goes from being beautiful ghosts that he can just have sex with casually to corpse. Like, straight up rotting corpse. And he freaks the fuck out. And that's where we get glorious Gutenberg. When he backs up into the wall, you know, he's covering his downstairs business. But you can see that lovely, lush, man hair chest that he's got there perfectly groomed so it's not too fucking out there but yet you can see gutenberg's a man he's a man's man man so he's he's there and he's turning into kind of a dick because he thought that she was going to be like that forever and then he realized oh shit the moment i did that moment i put my jizz up in her body she's now all of a sudden the dead and that's a problem that i can't handle because my love is not good enough for that and so she starts chasing after him like what are you doing? It's true love. We got to finish this off because then, you know, I'll become human. Otherwise, I'm just going to be this corpse. And he's like, oh, no. So he runs away. And when Liam Neeson and Martin crash into the castle, that's where things get a little shady between him and Sharon and him and Mary and Martin and Mary. Hi, Marty. Where's the wife? <clears throat> Don't mind your toes. Yours. Shut up, shut up. You can't, you can't, you can't, you can't get so excited. I just think I didn't know what's going on. I mean, I just think... Oh. Stop there. Oh. 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 Hey, Mary. Uh, we're just playing around, darling, you know? Jack? You threw me over for this? This... <clears throat> I mean, I knew you liked passive women, Jack. But she's half dead. I hope she has a great personality because this hurts. Well, look, well, at least really she hurts. said she loved me. That's a lot more I than you ever did. <gasps> Yeah, we are an Australian. Oh, no. Oh, no. Australian. No, no, no. She looks dead enough already. Don't start that. Please don't start that. Oh, Sharon. Oh, Jack, your wife's a woman. So is yours. So was yours. Oh, Sharon. Oh, Martin. Where are you going? Jack. Uh, Jack. I was just kidding. 
you were made for each other, and you look great. You really do. Jack. Bye, Mary. Sorry for the last 200 years, Sorry for constantly stabbing you every night. (laughs) That's just the way things roll. So... (laughs) He again, Jack is just like, I know he's overwhelmed, but he's a fucking dick. Like, he's there. She's just like, come on, we need to complete this, which means that you need to give me a kiss, even though I look like this, to prove that you truly... He's like, oh, well, you know, maybe we don't, or maybe we get some moisturizer and everything will be okay. But eventually he gives in, and he does kiss her. And then he's just like, I can't believe I'm doing this. I can't believe I'm fucking kissing a corpse. Even though I said that I do this, and I truly love her, and I've only known her for three days, and I just inside her, and I shouldn't have done this. Oh, my God. What the hell's wrong with me? And meanwhile, Martin, he's running away from Sharon, and Sharon is just tracing like around the castle. And eventually, you know, we start getting just opposing scenes. We see her chasing around, him still kissing the course. Uh, he, she ends up upstairs, and Martin is there waiting at a window, and he's opening his arms and says, Come to me, and then we can be together. And so she runs towards him, and as the body of you know, Mary starts to disappear. She jumps out the window because Martin disappears and ultimately kills her, just like he's been killing his wife for the last 200 years. Just not stabbing her, but he kills Sharon. And then Mary is completely gone. Jack runs outside. He sees the body of Sharon out there and he starts like getting really upset. He's like, what did I do? I killed her. I can't believe it. But there's something very odd about that body. Well, it has long glowing gold hair, just like Sharon does, but it's all in the curls of, you guessed it, Mary. So what happened was, I guess, the moment that True Love was found, they body swapped. So she went into Sharon's body and became herself, and Sharon, now dead, is now together with Martin. So everything seems like it's wrapping up very nicely. We go to the next morning where everybody leaves and we see that there's been a tonal shift with everybody involved in the movie so far. Brother Tony, you forgot your collar. No, he didn't. He threw it away, didn't you, baby? Mm. I'm only Mr. Crockett, single-handedly the worst vacation that I've ever experienced in my life. Thank you, Mr. Clare. However, I'll be recommending Castle Plunkett as the most haunted castle in the Western Hemisphere. I hope that helps you with your business. Too kind. I second that. Most gracious. So everybody but two people are now leaving from the premises. Uh, the priest has gotten Jennifer Tilly, so it looks like I don't have a chance anymore. But she looks happy, so I'm going to let her be happy in this fictional world. And the paranormal guy, he's totally convinced that everything is the most haunted, so he's pushing everything off and giving his A-OK that, you know, this is the most haunted place in the Western Hemisphere. And everybody is happy, including Peter, because that means that he's going to be able to keep his place. Which means that are the ghosts now from now on actually going to have like help and be a part of the whole thing? Or are, is he just going to be like, oh yeah, this happened here. Everybody stays there. Maybe there's going to be some better bumps in the night that are going to be created by him. So everything's cool and kosher with Peter and we get the end of his story. And that's where we go back into the castle. We see that Jack has decided to stay at the castle to be with Mary. And of course, 
Sharon, she's stuck there at the castle, but she's happy because she's got those big fucking coconut balls with her for the rest of her life. Well, undead life. I cannot thank you enough, Sir Jack, mm. for deciding to stay. Oh, hey, where am I going to go, right? And listen, Mary, when are you going to stop calling me sir, huh? Sorry, I can't help it. Well, maybe when you decide to marry me. You know. Are you asking? Well, my wife's hardly dead, and it was such a horrible death. Maybe we could wait a couple of centuries, or... Book the hall till 12. How about a little privacy? The day is for the living, Jack. The night is for the dead. How's the corpse? Pretty good. How's the psycho? Was he good? So is the trip worth it, Jack? Yeah, yeah. She thinks I'm brilliant. Well, Mary, you put on a wee bit of flesh since I last saw you. I'm not getting stabbed every night then. Mary, it hurt me more than it hurt you. Go on now with it. So, how's the yank? He takes me shopping. Uh-huh. Come here to me. My love, my reason for dying. How'd you ever learn to dance like that? Happiness, sir, Jack. Yeah, happiness. And so that was High Spirits. Now, what's ridiculous at the end is that she's able to dance with him. And Mary is also able to dance with Martin at the same time. They've all given each other forgiveness. It seems so ridiculous. That's like, well, like she's throwing it back at him. Like, oh, I'm so sorry. Well, okay. You know, it's better than being stabbed every night by you. Like, it's so ridiculous. That That is what makes for happiness at the end of this movie, but that's what it is. So Peter got everything he wants, he's got a better relationship with his family, who are ghosts now, and he's able to save the town. You know, Jack got to, you know, fuck the shit out of a ghost. You know, his wife, he got to get basically divorced. Well, it was death till they parted, and they parted, you know, and she got to die and is happy to be dead which is weird, but she gets to bang big ball guy all the time whenever she fucking wants to. So I guess that's a happy ending for everybody. So what do I think about this movie? Honestly, it's a fun movie. It's very fun. Would I have watched it on my own? No, I'm telling you right now, I wouldn't have. I would have seen it. The poster looks absolutely terrible, and I've seen different renditions of them, but they all look relatively bad, unless it's like a fan poster of it, but I don't see many of those out there, especially when I look for posters to put as the, you know, the logo for this episode. I have to pick the one that, you know, I feel, one, I can modify the best, two, that is the best representation, but how I feel about this movie, and so it's just... It's something that's just kind of like, uh, no, maybe, maybe, I don't know, Steve Gutenberg, Peter O'Toole, Beverly D'Angelo, uh, I don't know, Daryl Hannah, uh, I'll skip it. 
And that's the way I would have been. So, you know, I thank you for asking me to do the the movie and actually review the movie. And I had a lot more fun with it than I thought I would. Now, that makes the scoring a little weird because the first one for Gore Factor, uh, I can't really say. There's a little bit of blood. You know, it gets a one. I don't rate anything as zero. So it's going to be down there. It's just going to be a straight one. Um, there's a couple little things. There's the bloody hand. There are the nuns that are kind of scary, but there's nothing gory about it. She gets stabbed. There's a little blood on her face, a little blood on the, the dress. Okay. There are a couple of decent little horror elements to it. Like I said, the nuns are pretty good. So that's why the crap victor, it gets a three, uh, because there are some just terrible things. Gutenberg, man, I wish you could be better. The other person is Peter Gallagher. Like, I get it. That's the role that you've been given and that's what you're going to do. And there's not much more that you can do with it. But I felt like you could have been into it a little more. He was just a little bit more awkward than I thought he was going to be. But everything else and the kids are kind of like throwaways, um, that's really it. It's, you know, there are a couple of setups and different scenes, but the practical effects are pretty good. There's some really great looking scenes. That second stage scene is fantastic. Uh, I love the way, like I said, the nuns look and that whole thing. That's kind of creepy. And even the start of the scares to the people, like there is a little bit set up for it to be a little bit of horror tension, but it's nothing. It's lighthearted. So that's just the way it is. But the tonal shift really kind of kills me. Like, I really wish, like, I don't think Peter gets the ending that he truly deserves because he's the first character that you meet and he probably should be the last one so there should have been something at the end of it maybe with him and his mom and his dad maybe looking over them but we just look and see that mary's happy and it turns more into her and jack's film than it does to peter saving the castle that's my biggest complaint with the movie you could have gone with the whole love story thing that they went to this place and he just happened to be there not have to set up this crazy kooky Irish people living in this place that want to save their place type of thing to get to this love story about Mary and Jack. I feel like you do one or the other. Like you could have just had fucking Sharon be a complete and utter bitch and dies at the end of it because, you know, the ghosts scare her out and that's the way that everything breaks down and or just scares her so much that she doesn't die. But, you know, Jack ends up saying, you know what, I can't be with you anymore. And that's her punishment for everything, because even though she's a bitch, she still ends up even though she's dead, but she ends up with what she wants. She gets to be happy. And I didn't necessarily believe that she needed to be happy. The fun factor, I'm going to give this a 4 out of 5. I think it's really a lot of fun. The The laughs are hearty. When there are good laughs, it's very good. Uh, the set design is very good. The practical effects are very good. It's just a lot of fun to watch. Peter O'Toole, every time he's on the fucking scene, and I know I said this multiple times through the pod, but he's so good that it is criminal that he is not the main, 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 main focus of this movie. And it... Every time he's on the screen, I just fucking love it. And I love the way they did that character, even though it's not necessarily billed as the best, like, archetype of that character. So, with that being said, we're going to move on to what our next movie is going to be. And because I'm not doing Darby O'Gill and the Little People, I'm not going to focus on any type of Irish horror. I looked at a lot, and there wasn't anything that really reached out to me. And then I thought, hey, there was a movie that I've been meaning to do, and I've kind of talked about in the past... And I really decided that this time would be the time that I do it. So please enjoy the trailer for our next film.
there's something out there. Of all the bars to be stuck in. Unless you people want to die, you'll do what I say and you'll do it fast. They're coming. Right now. the guy that's gonna save your ass. That's right. We're going to be watching and going through Feast for the next film. Now, I know that trailer is not necessarily the best in the world because it's a lot of music in the beginning until we actually get any type of meat. But yeah, Feast is a movie that totally surprised the ever-loving crap out of me. And it was one of those ones that I saw and I literally bought in like a Best Buy or, or Target or something like that. And just based upon the cover and the fact that it was a part of that, like Project Greenlight and Wes Craven was involved. Ben Affleck was involved as well as uh, Matt Damon. And of course, Matt Damon, that's the only thing I can think about whenever I hear his name. Uh, But I was really surprised by the movie at how much I enjoyed it. And I haven't seen it in quite some time, so I'm very looking forward to going back and watching it again. So we'll be talking about Feast next time. Uh, but don't forget that after this episode, there's going to be the bonus episode from Dave. And I'm not sure what Dave's cooked up for this time, but I really hope. I mean, he's gotten two really good episodes uh, <laughs> already done. And so we're going to see what his third episode for the podcast from Another World uh, has in store for you. So don't forget to check out that bonus episode when it does drop drop. With that being said, I want to thank everybody that did participate into the contest that we did. Uh, the, as you see with a little bonus episode that I dropped a couple days ago, that the winners were chosen. My wife was uh, very helpful in picking the winners out of a hat. And I hope you guys enjoy the stuff when you do get them. Uh, it's uh, something that I've been wanting to do for a while. And I you know, think that you guys will enjoy the shirts. They're actually relatively comfortable coming from the company that makes them. Uh, as well as the little DVD prize pack uh, that is also coming your way. I'd like to do little things like this a little more often. So if you guys want a couple more contests every now and then here and there for either movie grab bags or swag or whatever it is, just please let me know. And how can you let me know? Well, you can go ahead and just follow the page on Facebook, facebook.com slash the terrible terror podcast. You can also go to Twitter, T underscore T underscore podcast, Instagram, terrible terror podcast and the YouTube channel, terrible terror podcast. On the Instagram video as well as the YouTube, I put a little uh, how I grab the music or the audio for the episodes up on there so that you can watch that. It's also on the Facebook page as well. And I've got a couple other videos that are going to be coming out soon on the YouTube and if they fit the Instagram TV. With that being said, see you next time for Feast. Thank you guys so much for listening. <laughs>